The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual guests. sensitive snowflake that may get easily offended and turn this off immediately if you want to hear the real truth about the gun culture then stick around this is the armed citizen podcast what is going on my ghost squad welcome to the armed citizen podcast live i believe this is episode number 227 but I'm not very smart, so I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure it's 227. We are live, as always, on YouTube and over on Facebook. If you're out there in the chat, please say something. We don't know that you're out there unless you do. If you're new to the show, new to the channel, welcome to the dark side. We help to we hope to make you a little bit smarter, but we just try, honestly, not to make you any dumber. We can't guarantee anything. If you want to call or text in, yes, you can call or text into the show. Utilize the Ghost Tactical Hotline presented by our good friends Rod and Shelly Gates at Aegis Gun Care. That phone number is 530-364-4678. It's scrolling right down below. If you have a question for myself or anyone in the chat, go ahead and tag us at Ghost Tactical, and we'll try to see uh, who all's out there and try to get those questions answered, especially if they're questions relating to our guests and the and the and everyone that we're talking to, the conversation that we're talking to. If you are a veteran, really anybody out there, but especially if you're a veteran and you're in that hole and you're trying to claw yourself out of it and you're questioning, is there a way out? Is there a light? Please remember, you can call me, text me, email me 24-7. I cannot give you medical advice, but I sure as hell could probably be a decent ear and help you through some stuff. If you are looking for someone that can get you towards some medical advice, remember two things. One, you are definitely not alone in this fight. You have a lot of brothers out here and sisters that are willing to help you in any way possible. And two, the world is a much better place with you in it. So please, please, please utilize the Veteran Crisis Hotline. 1-800-273-8255. Once again, 1-800-273-8255. The Veteran Crisis Hotline. We are spotlighting, as always, United States Marine Corps. If you have any questions on what it takes to earn the title United States Marine, visit the website marines.com. And as always, we're a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Please go visit selfdefenseradio.net. So uh, let me get this off of my ugly mug and bring in our homies for the night uh our kind of our our i don't know co-host or our engineer producer more or less the tactical virus i mean uh leprechaun himself the diva making an entrance as always what's up clove how you doing man diva come on i had a mm-hmm. snickers earlier i'm good yeah so speaking of shotgun as always uh what's your shotgun of the week my man yeah i was doing some things today with pump shotguns let's go browning bps okay browning Um, bps all right yeah browning pump shotgun and and uh you know i was thinking about that i think the browning bps might be the only 10 gauge production pump shotgun still being made i don't know that for sure but you don't see many 10 gauges around anymore yeah there's, there's not many I, that that may somebody on the chat may know for sure but uh i can't think well, of which one is interesting i mean honestly i mean there is a huge difference between an eight and a 12 
Like you would think that 10 would still fill a pretty decent gap right there. I don't why why do you think they're not around as much anymore? Recall. <laughs> Probably. Maybe a little bit in the I mean, you have people who are still shooting side. eights, you know. So I mean who who knows? I don't know. Yeah, you see you see a lot of eights though with uh black powder downloaded in, in like uh you know cowboy competition light loads and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, 10 gauge still used. I know people that use, you know, goose, duck, things like that. Uh, still use a 10 gauge. There you go. It's a, it's a we're going to, we're going to go ahead and bring him in here because he might have something to talk about this conversation. Uh, being a waterfowl guy, um, our special guests tonight from BRG USA and, uh, Buffalo cartridge company, Ken Cooper. What's up, homie? How we doing? Good to talk so to you. So you're, so yeah, we're talking ten gauge shotgun. You ever shot one before? I've never shot a ten gauge actually. I have not, nor do I have any desire. There's there's plenty <laughs> in a twelve gauge, three and a half. I, I don't need anything to do with a ten gauge. Right? Yeah. That, that's. I mean, you know, twelve's fun. It's fine. Um, I I've only shot an eight gauge a couple times, and that was pretty brutal. Um, so yeah, anything below twelve, it's just eh, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm a wimpy guy. You know. I got to assume shooting an eight, it was just for pure personal curiosity, right? It was. It was someone had one out there, and I was like, I got to shoot this. I mean, uh, it's not something that I'm going to go through a lot of them because the shoulder probably wouldn't handle it. Um, but, yeah, um, off the X says 10 gauge or 10 millimeter. Yeah, I'm going 10 millimeter. I'm not going 10 gauge. And Rich White out there says 10 gauge deer slugs are brutal on your shoulder. I would imagine so. Um, now, G23 Clover, he says, um, can we have a show dedicated to stumping Clover Tech on FUD stuff? I mean, we could try. I, I know Clover. He's, he's, it's going to be hard because. Nah, it wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't be hard. It really wouldn't. Even if he doesn't know, he can act like he can kind of. That's act true. Like in while he's Google fooing it. And, you know, so, you know. Well, you know what they say about what is it? If you can't dazzle make them with brilliance, <laughs> baffle them with something else. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah, I understand. No, I get it. I get it. Um, well, out there, guys, we're going to have a great show tonight. We're going to talk. We met Ken uh, Monday at Range Day. Um, industry. Show. I always call it Range. So I know it's Industry Day at the Range, but I think most everybody calls it Range Day. Um, and shot the BRG9. And obviously, I'd never heard of it because it was kind of released that day. Start talking with Ken. And then throughout the entire week of shot, it was like every day we had to stop by, say what's up, and 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 quickly became friends and all that. So I wanted to bring him on, not only just to hang out with him because he's a cool guy, but he's he's got a couple different companies from a different couple different avenues. Uh, he's got his ammo company with Buffalo Cartridge Company, and then obviously BRG USA, which just released the BRG9 Elite. Uh, into the states i guess it was a couple weeks ago now um so it's just gonna be one of those where we're gonna talk a little bit about those and as everyone knows out there i'm sure we'll hit some rabbit holes so once again if you have any questions uh whether it's about the gun or ammo or just general questions go ahead and tag myself or clover out there and if it's you know going along with the conversation we'll try to get to those um if not then it is what it is um Real quick, I guess before we get going, it's kind of off topic, but Rich wants to know your thoughts on the Uberti nine millimeters, the single action army. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Uberti nine millimeter, Clove or Ken? If you have any I experience, like, you know I like those. I haven't shot the nine millimeter. Um, have uh, I have laid hands on it? But you know they come out with the uh, 
what was it the pocket version a few years back it was on my yeah. had to see list cimarron came out with that which uberti sends a lot of stuff over to cimarron of course uh but they had the 380 and that was absolutely amazing you know i like a 380 so you do uh, like a 380. and that was just awesome and the nine same way i mean it is cool to have um you know old school like that and and the capability to shoot you know more modern easier to find stuff and I think that's probably honestly where the joy in some of these, I don't know what you call them, remodels or reboots of old classic fires, but they're being chambered in calibers that are, well, usually well, readily available, you know. It makes sense, right? I mean, I get a lot of influx on my channel with, with people that, in fact, I had a conversation in the comment today. Um, it's either people new to firearms and are clueless, or it's people that have come in and been interested in the ARs and the striker fires and the things like that, and they have no really no clue about the quote unquote FUD stuff. Um, and the, the is already I get it. I get it. But here's the thing: if you have old school that's chambered in nine millimeter, right? Then that, that could be a that could be a gateway to other things for the people that have all the nine millimeters. Or, well, and or and another like thing to add on to that, like we've got a, a retail shop here in town, and it's it's the Buffalo Trading Company. So my business <laughs> partner owns that. Uh, I don't have oh, any okay. piece of that, but it's a fantastic store. Um, so if any of your your listeners or, or watchers have not seen that store, you're, you're in Buffalo. You're in Ohio, so if anyone's in, we have a lot of people that are listening that are in Ohio actually. So you guys, they probably have heard of it before. Nice. So yeah, it's in Finley, Ohio, the Buffalo Trading Company. When you walk in the door, it's like an Old West museum. I'm, the, the owner is a real big collector of Old West antiques. And when you walk in the door, everything's authentic. So to kind of tack on to what Clove was saying, there is that, that nostalgia factor. You get caught up in the, this is the origin, but then people get a little angry and testy these days saying there's no more innovation in our industry, but at the same time, they love the throwback too. It ties in like I got a call today from a guy in Colorado. He's in a buying group and he said, I really hope when you guys come to the show this year, you're going to have some revolver cartridges because there's a real shortage of them in the country right now. And things like the Uberti single action army, you know, in a nine millimeter, you go, well, hey, maybe that's part of the solution where you can bridge the gap and go this nine millimeter ammo is available in this cool old style. You know, and it's so funny because Clover knows this. I'm not a revolver guy and I keep saying I'm going to get a revolver and all that, but the revolvers that I've been looking at getting in clove noses are a lot of them are the nine millimeter variety. Cause I love a nine millimeter cartridge. Um, and it's just one of those things where for me being not a FUD or being a guy and all that, the nine millimeter revolution in revolvers and PCCs, you know, there's a lot of people that wouldn't have bought an AR had there not become the nine millimeter PCCs had come along. And, and so, I mean, it's just one of those things where, yeah, I think that calibers and cartridges can be the innovation, not necessarily, like you said, the gun itself can be an old design, but if you start bringing, you know, a way to bring in revolver calibers into other things or striker fire center fire cartridges into revolver games or whatever that may be the innovation bringing it to more people than just creating something cool you know sure. um, and that's a, and that whole concept by the way 
is essentially wildcatting and it's a FUD concept. Like right. there was yeah. 44 mags, you semi-auto rifles. Everything's a FUD concept. I, I get mean, you. Yeah. But there was, there was 44 mags, semi-auto rifles to go with your revolvers decades ago, right? So, And what was know. one of the big hits this year was a 44 auto mag, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was a big hit this year at Range Day. So go go figure. All right, let's move on from the fudge shit because, like I said, I'm, I'm starting to get some rashes. You guys know that every Thursday, Saturday, and and Monday, over on our YouTube community tab, we put out polls out there, and our polls, we have a good time. We we like to make fun of different things and have some fun. Um, but we're gonna go ahead. I didn't put any out this week because I was last week. I should say whatever. Um, I had the cough cough, so it is what it is. So I'm going to go back to some of the ones that we had before that we didn't get to uh, mention because of shot and other things. So the first one um, is has 768 votes. Thank you for everyone that voted. Which of these dwarfs best describe you? Sleepy, grumpy, happy, or bashful? Kim, I'm going to start with you. Which of those describes you? Sleepy, grumpy, happy, or bashful? You know, this time of year, it's sleepy because anybody in this industry knows we just go and go and go uh, really until what? March. Um, so, yeah. yeah and, then, and it used to be till April when when NRAM NRA was in April. So it was actually through April. And then you had some time off during the summertime. But, yeah, uh, I was talking to Clover. And we have friends of ours that are up in Pennsylvania for the Great American Outdoor for two weeks. And. We know some people, Clover was talking about some one of our friends were over in Phoenix for a, a quick thing. So, yeah, this next couple, three months is going to be crazy for you guys. Um, and then well, you have like us. the gatherings and we have uh, triggered. We have these different shoots coming up and it's like, holy cow. Well, and for us, we came off a really weird shot show because of you know, yeah. everybody's sick of talking about and hearing about COVID. But it's a real thing we got to deal with. So for us, it was the cancellation of flights. And we go, hey, we're, we're debuting a brand new gun to the world. It wasn't just the USA yeah. premiere. It was the world there. premiere. Yeah. The gun has to arrive. The ammo has to arrive. And we have to arrive. So guess what? That means we're driving from Ohio to Las Vegas. And it was just 32 sure. hours in the car both ways. And, you know, family commitments on both ends of that. So you are just burning the midnight oil. So Clover, I don't want to hear shit about your 22 hour drive anymore. He drove 32 <laughs> hours. That's dedication, my hey, man. Hey, dedication. Texas to Phoenix, GRPC 2019, 38 hours, bro. 38 hours on the road. Don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, what about you, Clove? Sleepy, grumpy. I know what I'm picking for you, but sleepy, grumpy, happy, or bashful? I'm surprised there's no dopey on there. Well, that would well right now, right now it's grumpy because it's been raining there, and I know how you get when it's not sunshine. So I'm gonna say you're man. grumpy. Uh, yeah, ain't no sunshine. Not to uh, get all blues with you, but uh, yeah, probably grumpy right now for sure. <laughs> all right, forty nine percent leading that poll. Forty nine percent say grumpy. Twenty six percent sleepy. Eighteen percent happy, and seven percent bashful. Um, our next poll um, got 1.1 thousand votes. This is a fun one. What sport of these? What sport would be the funniest to watch if the players were drunk? Soccer, basketball, roller derby, golf, or rugby? I did put bowling there because I think most people are already drunk when they bowl, so that's kind of like a prerequisite so, for bowling. I, I thought people were drunk when they golfed. A lot of people are too, but uh, 
I think on the, on the golf, and I think like if, if Tiger and the guys on TV, if they, if they were like taking shots on each tee box, that would be interesting to watch. And I'd, and I'd be willing to bet a lot of rugby probably is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine rugby drunk? Oh, my God. So this is terrible, but my brain immediately goes to, I didn't grow up playing or watching soccer, but now I've got a nine-year-old daughter who's been playing soccer for five or six years. My brain immediately went to nine-year-old girls running around drunk playing soccer. So that would be the most entertaining to me uh, as long as it never becomes reality. That would be. So honestly, let me just say this. Is it all nine-year-old soccer, drunk soccer? (laughs) Fair point. Because I remember my daughter played soccer for a little bit when she's like five or six. And at that age, I mean, maybe at nine or ten years old, they actually are better at it. But at like five years old, it's like there's twenty kids, and wherever the ball is, it's like this swarm, this pack, and like every single person's following the ball. So there's like there's no scheme, there's no. It's just this pack of of bees that are following this ball. It's pretty funny. We're actually just getting to the other side of that, so I'm I'm really starting yeah. to enjoy it. But yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, right now, um, which is not a surprise because I think this would be amazing. Leading it with 48% of the vote is roller derby. I mean, roller derby drunk, that would be that would be epic to watch. I mean, that would just be awesome. Awesome. So 48% says roller derby, golf at 17%, basketball at 14%, soccer at 13%, and rugby at 8 And I think I know where people are coming. Rugby's already brutal. Can you imagine rugby when they're drunk, when they have no like care whatsoever? I mean, they'd be clotheslining. I mean, it, it could get really deadly. Well, roller really deadly. derby's that way too, but you got to realize losing the coordination with uh, the <laughs> with skating. Being drunk. The, the skating is what's going to be yeah. hilarious. It's yeah. not the elbows. Yeah. It's can they stay on the skates while they're hammered? Right. How many people have actually ever seen a live roller derby match? I haven't. Well, I've never, I've never seen one, um, but it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun. I mean, that's one of those things where you either have to be drunk doing it or drunk watching it. There's nothing about roller derby that needs to be sober. That's just, in my opinion, that's just what it has to be. Uh, Crystal out there says uh, there are little lambs following the ball. Okay, that's that's mama talking. So mama, they're not little lambs, they're little devils out there. Um yeah. Stan with SS Pawn, he's uh he says nine year old soccer is kill the man with the ball. That's kind of what it is. It it is kind of kill the man with the ball, honestly. So uh and then the uh the last one we're gonna go with has one point seven thousand votes. If animals could talk, which would be the rudest? A snake, a bear, a monkey, a cat, or other. What do you cat. think, Ken? Cat. I agree. Cats are evil, man. I'm just I saying. Can't stand cats. I had a friend who like rescued a box from the side of the road in college and talked me into taking one, even though I hate cats. And all it did was reinforce my opinion that I hate cats. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. To me, cats are evil. Like you shouldn't have to work that hard for affection from a pet. Yeah. And they're a dog just wants they to please you. you. Absolutely. Yeah. The cats are just like, just wait till you go to sleep. Wait That's till right. you go to sleep. They like, expect oh, to be served. Yes. <laughs> Clover, what about you? What do you think uh, would be the, the, the rudest animal if they could talk? That's a no-brainer. It's going to be a cat. As far as rude, now, if you said funniest or something, maybe something different. Absolutely. Yeah, cat, cats are already rude and they can't talk. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. Amen. Uh, Rich White says snakes would be the devious, but cats would be downright rude. 
Yeah, I think that I'm terrified of snakes. Like, there's the only thing, the only good kind of snake is a dead snake. I don't care if it's that big or what. I, I'm terrified of them. I'll be the first to admit it. But I think that you can have a pretty cool conversation with a snake. Like, so I think snakes are like a snake would be like, pretty laid. A snake would be pretty laid back. I would think so. You snakes know, snakes are honestly pretty, pretty laid back and pretty slick unless they're threatened. Yeah. Uh, Mr. F and H says he got his lower receiver today. Fantastic. Um, now we're talking about the drunk sports again. I think Nick Huffman says, how about paintballing? That would be kind of fun. Sure. I could see paintball or airsoft drunk. That would, that could be interesting. Paintball probably better than airsoft. I would imagine. But uh, yeah, now rod out there with Aegis gun care. I, I love you, man, but cats are not awesome. Um, that must be Shelly talking. Cause I don't see rod being a cat guy. So if that's Shelly, let me know. But yeah, um, Crystal says we have, I guess, want cats. We have two and they are night and day. One loves attention during the day and the other one wants attention at night. It sounds like TJ. Sounds like TJ. Is, is TJ one of your top? That's me. They're coming after you, man. They're I coming guess. after you. Sounds like the fire station's at it. Yeah. All right. So those are always fun. Thanks for, like I said, every Thursday, Saturday, and Monday at 10 a.m. We'll have the polls come out on our community tab and YouTube. We have a good time with those. So, all right, let's kind of jump in uh, with Ken and, and talk about, obviously, Buffalo Cartridge Company and obviously BRG USA and uh, kind of let people know, Ken, like maybe how everything started. Obviously, Buffalo cartridge started beforehand, but uh, you and I were talking, you know, before and kind of maybe give people a background. You know, did you grow up as a gun guy? No, no, not at all. So, you know, growing up, my dad had a, a 22 Ruger under the bed. Uh, I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but, you know, my brother and I used to like to sneak into the bedroom and he had built this wood box that was impregnable. And at least he thought so. And, you know, we would, take a look at it from time to time, but there was no ammo in the house. The only gun I ever shot was a BB gun. And when I got older, um, you know, I, I went to college and I graduated and I, I start working in this computer job. I was a computer engineer by education and I'm writing software for this telecom company. And fast forward 10 years later, my boss starts the Buffalo trading company here in Finley. And it's a retail store. I mentioned it earlier. It's got a really good wild West flair. And he builds a beautiful seven lane indoor shooting range. Well, right about the time he opens that range, uh, Sandy Hook happens and it's just really hard to get ammo across the country. Most folks that have been around the industry for 10 years or more remember that. And so he, he was in a bad pickle. You know, he had just dumped a lot of money into opening this range that was the only one in Finley for indoor shooting. And now he's got no ammo where people can show up and shoot. So he says, well, hey, let's let's start an ammo company. I'm sitting over here with my my computer background going, can you just do that? Can you just start an ammo company? <laughs> you do that. <laughs> Doesn't seem like the kind of thing you just wake up and have some cereal and go, hey, I'm going to start an ammo company. But, um, you, you know, hats off to him. He's the entrepreneurial type and has kind of infected me with that over the years. And so, yeah, we, we jumped in both feet and um, we start this ammo company and starts off just for his range. And then it grows from there. Um, you know, local people that want it, regional people. And then we start selling all over the country. And before we know it, we're hiring people and adding machinery and moving into a bigger building. But then Trump gets elected and things get hard like that. Um, 
you know, the ammo business dried up in a, in a hurry. So we're laying folks off and fighting through some tough years, but we've always kind of prided ourselves on being a scrappy company. And so we pivoted to whatever we needed to do to keep the thing going. So we picked up some contract loading. We, we would find, um, we would find components wherever we could to keep this thing alive. And then we got this great opportunity. We had this company out of Turkey that contacted us and turns out, you know, we hadn't heard of them at the time, but they're one of the largest ammo factories uh, in Turkey. Um, and, and one of the larger ones in the world, frankly. And they say, hey, we're looking for an import in the USA. We want to export our goods to the USA. So we're the first ones or, or one of the first ones to respond. And we, we form a relationship. And my sales rep over there is a, a guy named Matei, really knowledgeable in the industry, kind of a self-made guy, um, similar background, graduated with an engineering degree. And because he spoke really fluent English, got recruited into a company that was doing some Turkish shotgun stuff, which now is very common, but when he got started, it was not. And so he really cut his teeth learning how to do the the foreign trade thing. He eventually gets hooked up with this ammo company that's looking to export to the USA and he finds us and we do the deal and things go great. I mean, we, we landed our first shipment of Turkish ammo uh, two days before the election, uh, the, the Trump Biden election. And wow. so obviously that was a really good time to have our hands on a, on a good stock of ammo, right? Absolutely. So one thing leads to another. I end up over in Turkey and it was tough because in a normal world, when they contact us and say, hey, we've got this ammo, we want you to come check it out and see if you're interested in buying it. In a yeah. normal world. I'll just hop on a plane and go to Turkey, you know? <laughs> exactly. I would in a normal world. I would go yeah. inspect the factory. Because of COVID, we couldn't. So we did yeah. a lot of this on blind faith. You know, we, wow. we were as diligent as we could be. But, uh, you know, I end up over there in Turkey almost a year after we start this relationship to finally inspect the ammo factory. And while we're there, the sales rep says, hey, I've got a, another contact that you might want to meet who's about to come out with a new firearm. And so that kind of starts the whole chapter of, of our relationship with BRG. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna touch on that because that's to me. I want to know how that happens. But before we do, uh, real quick shout out to G twenty three's twenty dollars super chat. Thank you very much. He says we do more to help the troops downrange. Unfortunately, wife's been sick. I hope she feels better. Uh, we do not ask, nor do we encourage super chats. But everyone knows if you do a super chat, all of that money goes towards sending care packages to our our guys and gals downrange overseas. And um, so, thank you to that. I uh, hope your wife feels better, but yeah, thanks for that. Um, so before we go into that, Clove, do you have any uh, thing you want to bring up or questions before we jump into this avenue? Yeah, so a big deal back uh, 2013 happening, of course, uh, since then. I mean, currently we're in the, in, in the situation, but there was reloading supply issues. So, I mean, when you talk about manufacturing your your Kind of way it is now almost, isn't it? Um, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was after the Sandy Hook thing. I want to say that there was actually a powder factory that caught fire. Um, did was that a, a hitch in the giddy up, so to speak? Any of that type stuff? Absolutely. So not only was it a big, you know, kick in the pants for John when it was time to open his range and he didn't have any ammo, and and none of the big guys were able to fulfill his range contract. Here comes the sirens again. Sorry, guys. It's all good. Um, then we say, okay, we're going to invest the money in machinery and a space to build it and all the components. And, you know, we start getting scrappy again. And 
We find places to get the brass and the primers and the projectiles, but we could not find primers. It's like they know. It's like they know. Hey, honk, honk. We're driving by. Everybody wave. <laughs> the hour before this started, it was crickets, man. Crickets. <laughs> you got to love it. So anyway, uh, we cannot find the powder. And we were down at a gun show uh, selling some guns and ammo. And one of our guys, Brian, walks by a table of a guy named Andy, who's now one of our good friends in the industry. We do business together a lot of ways. But he walks by Andy's table and he's got one pounders of tight group, Hodgdon tight group, one pounders on the table. And he goes, hey, how many of those you got? He says, you're looking at it. There's like 20 of them. He goes, I'll buy them. Yeah. <laughs> so we pay some ridiculous exorbitant retail fee for him, but we needed it. We had to load some ammo. Well, then Andy comes and finds him later and goes, do you, do you need more of that? You kind of seemed like a guy who needs more. And Brian goes, yeah, we need a lot more. We're trying to start our own ammo company. He goes, well, I do have more. I just don't have it here. How much do you want? So the guy says, I'll take it all. So they, I mean, it was just, I don't even know how much you have, but I want it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the way we got started, every time we see Andy, you know, we tell the, the story and we joke because our first foray into loading ammo was with one pounders that we paid basically <laughs> triple retail price for, because that was the market. Oh, that's awesome. Now I remember last year with snowmageddon. Now I know up in Ohio, you guys are used to it down here in the South. Like we got about two feet of snow last February. They called it snowmageddon. It was like they'd never seen anything before. Even down in Texas, Clover even got snow. It got a few inches and it like shut things down. But I remember, Clover, and you might remember this. You probably know more about it than I do. But I remember there was a factory down in Texas, like a plastics factory, a manufacturer that like shut down during the snowmageddon. But they had like, the vast majority of shotgun holes like they were made in the U.S. was made at that factory, and they lost all of them. Am I am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, it's a Rio plant, yeah. Okay, okay, I, I know who it was. But, like, that's why there was, for a while, there was no shotgun shells available because, like, all the holes were ruined in Texas. Yeah, that's, it's just amazing how stuff like that can affect. And people think, well, why is there such an ammo? Well, we've got components and all of that. And, and for the guys out there reloading, you know, they're trying to get their little bitty to reload their 1,000 or 2,000 rounds. And you've got companies out there that are having to fulfill sometimes government contracts that are having the same issue of you need a little bit of powder. They need a shit ton of powder and primers and all of that. So, um, yeah, it um, is interesting. I'm guessing Ken and them probably rectified this problem, or maybe it's not even, Ken, an issue now with importing from Turkey. But most of the ammunition manufacturers I know don't use commercially available canistered powder. I mean, they're getting it by the drum, and it's, you know, the burn rates, the everything else are similar to some of the commercial-grade stuff, but uh, that's how they're they're purchasing, not by the... But again, you do what you got to do in a, in a crisis, I suppose. No, you're right. So, you know, a lot of times, too, because we buy it by the drum on, I guess an analogy would be like if you got a cereal factory and they're pumping out cereal, you know, they do some that's name brand and some that's generic, but it's all generally the, the same cereal. Right. And so, you know, what most people would call Hodgton tight group, you know, maybe in the background, we're calling that OBP 242 as an example. So mm -hmm. right. we will buy it in a 35 or a 40 pound drum, depending on the powder. Um, and the retail public will buy it in a, in a one pounder because that's what the reloader guy needs. And it's all, it's all matter of scale. And so we are by no means a, a big fish. We're a, 
we're still a, a small to medium sized company. You know, we you compare us to somebody like Winchester or Remington or under the Vista umbrella, whatever you whoever you want to compare us to. Those guys are buying you know powder by the the absolute truck and boatload, and yeah, we would look yeah kind of you know we're going to look like a minnow compared to that shark. So it's all just a matter of scale, and um, everybody's got their place in the world. I think it's fantastic that all this stuff is still commercially available to the reloaders because. Like you think about competitive shooters, those guys, for very good reason, they don't want to go shoot anything white box off the shelf. They want to load it to their own specification and power their own power factor. And they want to know with 100 percent confidence, I trust this load because I loaded it. God love them. I think that's fantastic for the industry. B23 says any 45 Colt. And I'm looking right there. 45 long Colt right there. 250 grain full metal jacket. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean. You guys have, I'm looking through the website, I'm sharing a screen. You guys have all of the basic calibers that the vast majority um, make. Are y'all able to do any custom loads if someone calls and says, hey, I need something, I can't find it? You know, can you do some custom uh, loads or are you looking to expand later on to different calibers? Yeah, so it's always an ongoing conversation at our shop of, you know, what do we want to be in this current climate and what do we want to be going forward? So a lot of the stuff you see on the website came up because of demand. You know, people said this is what we want and we see a need, fill a need kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll be perfectly honest. A lot of the products you see on the website right there right now, a lot of them aren't available because of component yeah. availability. I won't bore your listeners or viewers because they've heard this over and over for the last year and a half. Just suffice it to say it's true. It's a real thing. It's tough to get the components and, and make this mm -hmm. stuff right now. Um, in terms of custom loads, it's a it's a tough nut because in order for it to be worthwhile for us to put our ballistics guy on developing a load and then going ahead and manufacturing a small batch of, let's say, 500 rounds for this guy that wants it. Yeah, it's not it's, cheap just to develop the load, you know? Yeah. It gets it, it gets priced out of the ballpark real quick. But what we do try to do is collaborate with folks. We've got a lot of load data from the last nine years of loads that we've played with. I mean, the stuff you see on the website was our standard SKUs, but we've done a lot more stuff over the years, small batches. Um, so we do try to collaborate with people that go, hey, I've got this load, this grain weight, I'm going to use it. The application matters. So that's sure. something that somebody from outside the industry, a lot of times they don't get. They go, oh, it's a 10, mil 10 millimeter load. Well, what are you going to use it for? Is it a plinking yeah. load? Is it a or competition load? Yeah. Is it a hunting load? Is it a personal defense load? All of those things are going to be treated differently. Yeah. So it really does matter. So, uh, you know, this gets into the reloader side of things a little bit. And it's it's the dirty secret. When somebody always contacts me and is, is like, hey, you know, I want to get into reloading. Uh, well, like right now, for example, I tell them now's not the time. <laughs> you need to wait till things come back around to we're in good times. Then you need to stock up, buy your stuff, learn how to do it. And you're, you'll be ready to go when the bad times hit. Never start reloading in the, in the midst of what we're in. But mm -hmm. also tell them that unless you're talking about specialty high-end cartridge stuff, um, you don't reload for cost. You just don't. Uh, and, you know, you reload to be able to shoot more. Is availability what it, is, yeah, right that's what, yeah. what it amounts to now scale that up to what you know to what you're talking about ken when you're talking about um you know anything like a 
like the the Mark Sevens, or you know, even if you're talking about the Hornady ammo plants, or you're talking about you know the Dillon 1050s, something bigger than that. Once those are set up and cranking out a certain cartridge, um, it's a pretty massive undertaking to take all that down, to retool all that, to do something different. That's on top of the R and D you're talking about to get the load data. Um, Plus, you're going to have to have the right dyes. You're going to have to have the right powder, all of the components you're talking about. So, mm-hmm. you know, when people do come to a, an ammunition manufacturer and they go, hey, you know, can you do some one-off, you know, 500 rounds? It's like, could they do that? It's like they could do that, but you would probably be better off trying to buy the stuff and just load it yourself. Yeah, yeah. and it's you see it every year, too, where rare cartridges are unavailable later in the production cycle and it's it doesn't quite run a a calendar year it's more like a fiscal year so kind of the flow of this thing is people introduce products at shot show and then there's a lot of buying shows where the big retail and distribution customers come in late january february march and put in all their orders and then the factories gauge how many orders did we get and then they do big production runs so things like 45 colt um you know you already mentioned trey the 45 colt load those factors are going to take all their orders, put them together, put in some kind of fudge factor, either plus or minus, depending on their experience. And they're going to run all that 45 Colt at once. It's like they're running their 45 Colt machine throughout the year, typically. Well, whenever that 45 Colt stuff is done and ships out and hits the shelves, when it's gone, it's typically gone until the next cycle. And so that's where sometimes the smaller guys, you know, fill in. So Clove, you're right. I mean, to your point, it's not like they're, shutting down the machines, retooling and going, oh, shoot, this guy ran out. We're just going to hurry up and run 20,000 more rounds. Like they're going to run their 20 million for the year. And when they're done, they're done. Yeah, because they've got they're, they're probably set up. And I know the people, the Remington plant, for instance, they've got, I mean, a massive amount of, of presses. But those presses, they know, hey, for these months, we're going to run this caliber or these calibers. And then you know, starting in May, we're going to start getting ready for hunting season. So the, those presses start going towards the rifle calibers. It's like you said, it's not like they've got one press for per caliber. They've got their whole factory producing whatever caliber they're working on for that week or that month. And it's like you get your order in, it might be a year, might be nine months. And oh, by the way, when it's gone, it's gone for another year. And that's the side of the manufacturing that I think a lot of people don't understand. It's not that they don't have the components for it sometimes. It's the fact that their presses are going to be used for other things that are pretty much already planned a, a year ahead, ahead of time. You guys know what you're going to be producing from month to month, I'm assuming. you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like everything else. You The best play, best laid plans of mice and men, right? You, you do your, your best to plan it out, and then you mm-hmm. roll with the punches thereafter. So yep. it's not at all unheard of that if something is <laughs> urgent enough or profitable enough, yeah, sure, you pivot. Um, but for the most part, yeah, everybody tries to plan it out and then stick to the plan and adjust as necessary. Yeah. Mr. F&H, anything under 40 cents around shipped? Hmm. Well, everything we do is What's available, I guess, at this point. Yeah, everything we do right now is dealer or distributorship. However, um, we do have an online partner uh, at AmmoMart.com where all of our stuff that we have in stock is available. So. I would say I'm trying to think right now. Yes, there. Yes, there is some stuff under 40 cents around, but I'll let you go to Ammo Mart and explore that on your own. There you go. 
Uh, G23, this kind of, you just answered that question, but can the average person get components from you guys? Can they just call you and, and say, if you have any components, maybe you'd sell those or not? Right now, no. Um, yeah. you gotta, everything you we've got. For yourself. Yeah. yeah. Now, it, we have in the past, um, we sold in bulk, uh, particularly like remanufactured brass. So one thing that makes our shop different than a lot of Joe Schmo reloaders is, you know, Uncle Jack's back 40. He's just running a Dillon press. He's picking up his spent shells and he's running a hand crank. We're running industrial equipment. So if we take our brass, it goes through several sorting and cleaning processes before it ever gets to the processor. When we process it, it does get air pressure checked to make sure that there's no air escaping from any hairline fractures. So mm. if you do buy brass from us that's remanufactured, you can guarantee this stuff is safe to reload. Right now, we're not in that mode, but we'll see where the, the market takes us in the next 12 to 24 months. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Calaveras, our buddy out there in California, um, I've never really thought about this. He says, love to get some load data from these guys. Do you guys ever discuss load data with different people and maybe share recipes or anything like that? You know, in the early years, we were a lot more of an open book. It, <laughs> it is interesting, the evolution you go through, because while we do want to help the industry, we want to help reloaders. And the short answer is, yeah, we'll collaborate. We'll share with people. Are we just going to open the books and dump on people? Hey, here's what we paid 10 years of salary and research and equipment and upkeep and maintenance to develop. And here you go. It's a little tough. I mean, that that's part of our competitive edge in the market. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah. Clover's in the private chat. He has a good point. The bigger you get, the bigger the liability. And that is hundred percent true. Um, especially when you're talking, sharing with the industry in the general public, I would imagine that you're maybe willing to do something if someone calls and say, hey, I've been working on a load for this 4570. I can't quite get it right. Do you have any advice on what can make this work for XYZ application? That might be something more more able to help than, hey, why don't you make public your recipes, you know? I don't know if you have my phone tapped, but yes, that's exactly like what happened with us with the 4570 load over the last couple oh, of years. Oh, I was just blowing out of my ass. <laughs> We've got several of our own 4570 loads because that's a big straight wall cartridge here in Ohio right. for hunting. But then there's some other main manufacturers we work with to do some contract loading for. Um, because, you know, when it comes to the smaller volume off caliber stuff, sometimes they're better suited, um, yeah. you know, to let us help with that. And so there was a 4570 load that we had been developing for years or producing for years. And then we couldn't get the powder anymore. That was the approved load for this private label. And they said, well, what are your options? We said, well, we're going to have to work with Hornady and sorry, I'm sorry, not Hornady, uh, Hodgden and figure out what other load data do they have. And so that's exactly what happened was we collaborated the three of us together, figuring out what's an acceptable replacement for that powder. And once again, you're talking about, months years of testing and it's, it's taking 500 going to shoot them figuring out hey let's let's take this data down and make sure because that's not only liability but it's also reputation you get a reputation right out the door this stuff doesn't do what it's supposed to do for me in this situation word of mouth flies around very very quickly so i mean i'm sure i would like to ask you this and from the from the manufacturing side how many 
rounds do you think that you guys tested before, let's just say a nine millimeter, your loads and all that? How many actually rounds do you think y'all tested before you became public with that caliber? Boy, I would say that we, if I looked at back in our archives, we've probably got no less than 100 different powders that we've tested with no less than 100 different combinations of cases and and projectiles and overall lengths and what bullet profile you're dealing with and all of that matters you know a lot of people pick up a 380 bullet and they'll say well it's a 380 bullet well they're all different on the underside the part that the powder is making contact with might be a flat base it might be a hollow spherical base which is kind of the concept of like a hemi engine right Mm -hmm. well they have different combustion properties and so you have to test all of that You've got internal case geometry that's different from brass manufacturer to brass manufacturer. So the internal volume and the internal shape of the bottom of the projectile and the different powder, different primers, different overall length to where you're compressing that load, it all matters. So we have literally tens it's of thousands. It's not like you're shooting five of those rounds to test it. You're shooting hundreds or thousands for each individual of one of those Things. I mean, so yeah, I can only imagine how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of rounds it takes before you get your formula right where you want it. That's crazy. And yeah. how much is that? Because you know, people don't realize. People say, "Man, like it's crazy. Like ammo can be expensive, and you know, all that." Well, you're, let's say you're selling a box of fifty for twenty five bucks right now. Well, that's great. The original cost a million dollars to develop over time and energy and all that. So there's a lot of money invested before you even know that that, that ammos exists. You know, I can tell you a lot, a lot of people in our, our path over the last nine years will attest. We, we were really good at spending money for the first nine (laughs) years of our existence. Yeah. A lot of times you wake up. Yeah. You, you wake up and you just go, are we nuts for being in this business? Are we ever going to be able to recoup this investment? You know? I think I think I mean, obviously you will. I mean, and and you probably already may have, but yeah, I mean that's and I think that that's probably and it's any business and especially um, in the gun industry, it's such a finicky ebbs and flows of the industry and political that yeah, I mean that's why a lot of companies don't make it is they can't. It's not the fact that they can't get their item; it's not a good item, and they can't get it sold. It's the fact they can't get to that point. Because they spent all of their capital developing and testing before the product ever gets out to the market. So I think well, at I this can, point you're running on you're running on you know autopilot because you've done all the hard work almost. Well, and this helps us kind of pivot back to the earlier narrative of how we discovered BRG and um, really by the grace of God. And look, right. we knew from the beginning. From the beginning, we stamped on our box: God, guns, country. Um, we knew from the beginning, some folks will be on board with that. Some folks won't, but we knew that was part of our mission is, you know, there's a lot of prayer involved in our group. There's a lot of belief in, in the grace of God. And we truly can't explain it any other way that we've been able to stay in the game. We've been very fortunate. We're, we're privately uh, funded for the most part. And so mm-hmm. my business partner, John has, has been very generous with, with the financial end of this to see us through some times that frankly, if we were a a typical startup going through a small business administration through bank loans and whatnot, we would have been forced to fold up a long time ago. But in addition to 
John's willingness to be flexible with the money and with a lot of us, we've got a great team. I mean, I, I could rattle off a, a list that's 50 people long who have literally yeah. sacrificed more than they ever should have had to to keep this thing going. So yeah. we've got that fi financial component. We've got that hard work component. But then we've still got the we cannot explain why some of these relationships came along when they did other than by the grace of God. So yeah. absolutely. Uh, Rich White, he's in West Virginia, I believe, that he goes up to Pennsylvania. He says, are you or anyone from the company going to beat the Great American Outdoor Show this month up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania? It was not in the game plan, but as all things this time of year, going back to me being the sleepy dwarf, we're trying be to fluid. figure that part out. Yeah, be fluid. Yeah. So I, I'd say there's now, a 50-50 shot at this point. Okay. Uh, Clove, you got anything you want to ask or bring up before we start talking about BRG? I'm good for now. Let's go. All right. So transitioning to BRG, I just put the website out there as well. So you're over in Turkey taking a look at the, the ammo manufacturing plant. Hey, I've got this guy, this contact. I think that this company is, you guys might hit it off. They say they've got this new gun coming out. So you're in Turkey you meet this person or these, this group of people that has this new gun, they're looking for an importer. Now I'm assuming by the time you went, when you went over to Turkey and importing a firearm and getting into the gun business was probably not even a thought. How do you go from that point to now this is real and happening? Yeah. So it was not a complete surprise to me. He said, let's go to this factory. He had mentioned it along the way. And a couple okay. of times, you know, before I made the trip, I'd said, look, that's not really the business we're in. The gun guys and the ammo guys sometimes are the same guys, but a lot of times that's that's two different camps. Yeah. And uh, he was just persistent about how much he believed in this company and this product. And like I said, this guy was a self-made guy. Mate uh, was a really self-made guy. And I grew to trust him over the year that we had been working together you know, prior to this trip. So finally we get there. He says, I really want you to, to visit the, the factory. So, okay, but let's go. From the moment I walked in the door, I could tell this was a company that was serious about, you know, making their mark. They, they didn't act like they were a company trying to figure out how to be in the manufacturing business. They acted like, and I have since learned that they are a company that's already in the manufacturing business. They already know how to be in the defense industry. This is simply their own first model. But they've been working on parts uh, and, and military contracts for other entities in Turkey for a long time. And so the fact that they came out with a firearm that really captures a lot of what's good in a polymer striker fire pistol mm -hmm. is not surprising because they've been around them for years. I mean, so, yeah. so the CEO of the company, he gets his start in the Turkish, you know, I call it the military industrial complex over there. It's MKE, very big factory. And it's not just a factory. It's it's kind of the equivalent of uh, Lake City Arms here meets all of the folks who are on a contract basis making our, our military firearms, right? So these guys, they have all the ins, they have all the connections. The CEO started there as a machine operator, is my understanding, when he was a very young man, works his way up to being the deputy general manager of the entire operation. Well, that oh, doesn't wow. happen by accident. I mean, no, he's essentially, yeah, he's an operator, he's an engineer, he's a he's a relationship guy, he does all this stuff. And his name is Fatih. So Fatih, I meet him and right off the bat, I can tell, like, he's looking at this gun like it's 
this is his child. He mm -hmm. is so proud of it, so willing to do whatever he has to do to nurture it. It was infectious. I mean, I just fell in love with this factory, with this person, with this product. And that was before I ever shot it. Right, so then we right, go yeah. and we shoot it. My first 10 shots, and I'm a decent shot, but I'm not, you know, I'm no tactical guru. I'm just a decent shot. I put 10 holes through a quarter size uh, grouping at, I don't even remember how far it was, but it was far enough to go, wow, this thing's wow. consistent yeah. and it's impressive and it's comfortable in my hand. Let's talk. And then we were off to the races figuring out how to be a gun importer. Yeah. Um, you know, the interesting thing to me is when you talk about the pride, obviously this guy had on, on, on this gun and you can see the passion that this whole company in this factory had on this gun. Like you said, it was there, they'd been in the game for a while, but this was their first one. You know, a lot of people talk about Turkish guns and all that. I'd tell you what, over the last probably four or five years, man, I, I, I am a huge fan of a lot of Turkish companies. SAR USA, Canik, Gerson. Um, there's a lot, and a lot of shotguns that are stamped different companies around this world are made in Turkey. So whatever they're doing over there, whether it's quality control or is it knowledge of firearms or is it just passion and attention to detail, whatever's going on the last, you know, five, 10 years in Turkey has really paid dividends. I think that some of these companies have really put Turkey on the map. And there are people that are now, including myself, that will sit there and look at some of these Turkish guns and say, these are as good as anything else out there in the world. The quality is there. The the innovations there. The craftsmanship's there. And like you said, they're obviously passionate and prideful of their products or they wouldn't be doing this. But it, it's just, it's, it's, it's great to see companies that take pride, especially a, a company that really, I mean, obviously they probably have government contracts or contracts with other manufacturers, but this is their first baby also. And they want to put their best foot forward because we all know there are some companies out there that don't put their best foot forward on their first firearm. And those companies go away and you don't hear yep. about them anymore. And so I'm sure this is a pretty, I don't know, nervous. I don't know if nervous would be the one exciting, but maybe there is some nervousness on your side and on their side to see how is this going to go the first year, you know? Well, like I said, I, I mentioned by the grace of God. So there were a million points along the path that we could have talked ourselves out of this deal for all of those reasons and a lot more. You know, we're trying to meet each other and build trust at a point that, look, it takes money to make a deal like this go. If they're going to ramp up production from prototype to mass production, there's increased staffing and machinery and licensure. On our end, there's licensure and infrastructure that we have to have in place to get it all in. It was a huge leap of faith. And like I said, a million times along the way, we could have said, look, this is just too complicated. This is just too big of a, a, a bridge to build. But along the way, we just kept getting little snippets that made us understand these guys are going to be a name in the marketplace. Somebody is going to bring this to market and we want it to be us because we, we, we love this product and how it's built. And so you know, sometimes, you know, I can see some folks over in the chat and they're making some good points. Hey, I see this element that kind of reminds me of this. I see this element that kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's only so many ways you can make a handgun, right? Correct. It's a polymer striker fired pistol. 
So there's only so much you can change. There's a little bit of design elements that you can change up. But at its guts, it's a, a lightweight pistol that you're trying to make a good, reliable shooter at a good, affordable price that people want it. So what did this factory do different to make people want this gun? Well, some of it you can feel. The trigger, I mean, you guys shot it at range day. We got that comment a lot coming off the firing line that they couldn't believe the trigger was that good in a polymer striker fire pistol. Mm -hmm. And the owner, Fatih, took a lot of pride in developing that trigger. Some of the stuff that makes it different, you can't see. Uh, yeah. The steel, the steel that's used in the construction of this thing, some folks will kind of zone out and go to sleep on this, but I'm telling you, it matters. The industry standard is 4140 steel. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But this company decided to use 4340 steel, which means higher nickel content. It's a dual heat treated forged steel. Yep. That means basically this thing is built like a tank. It's going to last forever. It's the slide, the barrel, and the slide rails, or, or what some people would call the, the, the locking block and the rear block. Mm -hmm. So if you look at some competitors, the rear block, the rails that the slide rides on, it's built into the polymer. That's only going to last so long. This yeah. is a steel insert, and it's not just a steel insert. It's 4340 steel. So you've got the slide, the barrel, and the rails all built of a higher quality steel. We've been torture testing one of these things. We put 10,000 rounds through it. We're actually up to like 12,000 now, but we don't clean it. Until it jams, we don't clean it. So it's right. been cleaned four times. You turn this thing over, you look inside the slide, there's no wear on it because the yeah. steel is so incredibly high quality. And so some of that stuff, you know, there's a ton of elements I like, like the light finger grooves on the grip. The ergonomics are fantastic. The flat faced five pound trigger. Fantastic. Uh, some of it, though, is invisible unless you know what you're looking for, like the quality of the material, or once you take down the gun and, and flip that slide over and you go, wow, that dual stage recoil spring looks a lot beefier than what I remember in my other guns. Well, guess what? It is. So now you got a heavier steel, you got a heavier recoil spring. Some people that are new to the gun market, they pick it up and they go, well, that's a little heavier than I wanted. What they don't realize is that means that gun is going to eat the recoil for you. <laughs> that's a right. very heavy's good thing. Heavy is not a bad thing. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Look, I, I'll go on for hours. <laughs> you, let me. You, you tell me what you want to hear or else you're going to have to listen to my. my. Oh, no. I, I want to bring in because I, I know that when we were at range day and we both shot it. As a matter of fact, I think we filmed each other shooting it. Um, decline that call. Sorry. Um we both walked off and Clover made a comment to me and he, he made a comment of what it felt like to him. Do you want, I don't know if you want to bring that up Clover and talk about that or not. That's a lot like an XD that, that I can yeah. tell. Right. I mean, I don't, I didn't have it side by side. Right. Uh, but I have on day, uh, an XD nine since they first came out, I had one of the very, you know, very first ones the local gun shop got when they introduced the XD nine, uh, not the stupid grip zone stuff, the new ones, but, uh, <laughs> right. old school. Um, and you know, so I've got a lot of time pulling the trigger on that thing. And even though I haven't actually picked that thing up in months, um, you know, when I laid hands on it, I was like, ah, it's just got it. it it's, it's familiar. Familiar, right? yeah, yeah, it's sure. familiar, and that was a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that you pick it up and you're like, oh, okay, this is familiar. Um, one thing I wanted to jump in. Ken was talking about 
he's alluded to it several times from the materials to the, the quality of the factories. So years ago, um, and, and I got, I haven't really thought about this and all the conversations I've had with all the different importers from things with, from Turkey. I've never, I've never actually thought about this until just now it clicked, but years ago, uh, folks know I was in computer IT business and stuff like that. I had a guy reach out to me. He was a fairly regular customer. Anyway, took me to lunch one day. We talked about, um, they were working on over in Turkey with a company in Turkey, working on some type of revolutionary mammography machine, medical industry, nothing to do with firearms, uh, but I'm getting there. And he's like, we're building them over there. We need the computers to run these, but we don't, you know, we're looking for the right person to tweak these the way that we want them to our specifications. And would you be willing to help us out with the prototyping and stuff for the, those units? And I, there was a few dozen, something like that. Right. So with his conversations on that side, with them building that type of machinery in Turkey and stuff, it's the same comments and conversations that I ha have with the firearm side of things with the importers like Ken talking about the tech they use in their factory, talking about the pride they take in the work. People dog on Turkey and all their stuff. And for the politics, I get it. Go for it. But the people in these factories do it the work, right? The, you know, the, the type of materials they use, it's like, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the manufacturing stuff. The majority of it that I've seen anyway, over the years, coming from turkey yep. no you and you really have to I, I i love history i've always loved history and so you know obviously america is the modern melting pot but if you look at turkey in the course of yep. history that's like the original melting pot because it's where europe meets russia meets the middle east meets asia like it's all right there and it's such a rich diversity when you go there you can see it in in terms of the, the people and the architecture and the food but you can also tell that they benefit from the same thing that Americans benefited from in terms of being a melting pot. You truly get this confluence of all these ideas and techniques and right. pride. You know, it, it was a great visit. I can't wait to go back, to be honest. But the thing that struck me immediately was before I went, I had some friends and some family that said, well, isn't that kind of a dangerous time to be going to the Middle East? Well, Turkey is obviously not quite the Middle East. But when you get there, like Americans, a lot of times have this, and I think it just happens over the course of time. There's nothing wrong with being proud to be an American. I certainly am. But we have this sense that nobody else can do it as good as us. And that's not always true, right? So the world is a big place. And Turkey has invested a ton in their manufacturing and their export uh, part of their economy. And obviously, it's no surprise to anybody in our industry that focused heavily on the firearms industry. Trey, you mentioned all the shotguns that are stamped differently, but they're made in a yeah. combination of the same factories over there. I picked up a waterfowl gun this year that's Weatherby, but it's it's made in Turkey. It's the ATA factory. Clover about it, the Element or whatever it was called. Yeah, the Weatherby Element. I love it. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I told Kim about that. I said Kim was telling me about a shotgun. You need to go check out. I think he did, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm not knocking any major brand. Hell, I, I'd love to have a, a Benelli or a Beretta or a Browning or whatever. But sometimes you can find fantastic quality for a fantastic price. Right now, I, I think our gun and the BRG9 is, is a great example of one of those opportunities for American shooters that go, 
look, I want a really good gun, but I don't want to spend a thousand dollars for it. Well, here you go. You know, here's something that MSRP is for four hundred dollars. But I'm telling you, with my own two eyes and my own two hands, I've seen the factory. I've shot the gun, and I would stand behind this product till the day I die because these people are doing it right. Absolutely. A uh, couple questions from the chat, real quick. Going back to some ammo, real quick. G23. I guess he was looking up your website. Forty Smith, uh, 155 grain. Is there a reason that it's only going 1044 feet per second instead of close to 1300? So I would have to look at the load data, but as I recall, the 155 is an odd grain weight for 40. Typically, most guys are shooting 165 or 180. And so unless you want to get into a specialty powder that you're loading specifically for that 155, you basically adjust your power factor. What you get is you're loading that that powder in the in the casing. I think for a 155, you have to load it up a little, and it's counterintuitive. You would think more right. powder in the casing it ought to move faster. It's all about the powder is still burning all the way down the barrel. And so when you're using the same powder for a 165 as you do in a 155, you end up getting a slightly different ballistic result. I will also say, and this is just my personal opinion, people that say they can feel the difference between <laughs> one or 200 feet per second, typically, unless you're, and, and there are some out there, there are some really experienced shooters you can tell, but for most of us, I, I can't tell. Yeah, the world champions might, you know, those those guys can probably feel a difference. Uh, Clove, go ahead. Now, if you reload a lot, you can too. Um, yeah. But to the point of feet per second, to the point of velocity, and it was G23 that asked, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and he knows this, I'm sure, but I'm going to say it because yeah, he's it's just obvious. Yeah. So anytime you look at, at the velocity, that's in whatever barrel length of firearm they were using to test. So that means squat unless you've got the exact same firearm. So I don't understand why people put a lot of faith in the in the velocity in the FPS anyway. I, I get that it's a starting point, right? It's like, you know, when I go out, it's like, okay, I want something that's hotter ammo or whatever. I'm going to look for a higher uh, velocity or something like that. But at the end of the day, depending on what I put it in, it, it doesn't matter. Well, and look, they're making good comments here in the sidebar here. I see G23 yeah. and Rich are both saying, hey, I've got 120 grain. I've got 135 grain. I come to scream in velocity. Absolutely. We could, too, if sure. we were willing to invest in a different powder. But when we want to use the same powder we're accustomed to using and we don't want to compress the load, basically what we said is, hey, this is a target load for the, the Joe Schmo range shooter. And mm -hmm. so that guy wants to punch paper. I'm not going to invest a bunch of money on specifically developing a different load. Whatever my powder drop is for a 165, when I flip over to that 155, I want to keep the same powder drop or whatever the velocity is, as long as it's within Sammy spec, I'm good with it. I'm going to roll with it. Absolutely. And that makes a difference whether it's defensive or, yeah. or range. Yeah, for sure. Or competition because some people sure. are going to load a specific, they, they have to have that a specific power factor for competition well um, or if you're talking you know, precision competition quality control becomes sure. massive more important point. absolutely yeah. yeah at that point you don't really as long as it's within that range but you're worried about it needs to be consistent whatever that is it needs to be consistent so yep. yeah um now there's some stuff i want to get to but buck out there uh the tactical fud um wants to know about the brg 
Uh, it's called a BRG nine buck. It's not called a BRG three eighty. The BRG forty five. Now, just joking. Uh, but he wants to know maybe down the road. I know this is brand new and all that, but down the line, maybe some interest in some. I'm not going to say the calibers, but all other calibers could, could be anything. Is that something well, that's even in disgust right now, or is it too way too early? Uh, I'll I'll keep saying it. Uh, we'll see where God leads us, but right now. This is a nine millimeter gun, and that's uh, that. The immediate horizon is not to expand the caliber offerings; it's to expand the model offering. So, as a little sneak peek, you know, it, it it doesn't take a huge leap of mental prowess to understand that probably the next place we're going to go is either a compact or a tactical version, right? I'll, so, I'll, I'll tell you what I told you at range day: longer barrels, longer barrels. Right. He's so, all about the five-inch barrel, you know. He doesn't know what five inches least, is. At least, at <laughs> least. So the five-inch seven-inch seven nineteen eleven is what he's looking for. You know, six, seven-inch. Yeah, yeah. Now we're talking. Well, the the five-inch version's already done. Whether or not that gets released before or after the tactical version is a is the current topic yeah. of conversation. But I will tell you. I got a sneak peek at what the tactical prototype design looks like, and it checks all the boxes. Now, with the threaded... TJ agrees with me, so that's two out of three. Let, uh, let, the, let the FUD King go with his well, little me, whatever. Well, let, me, let me finish something, because it has to do with weight <laughs> offset and some other things. So the tactical, you could run a comp on the end, and that solved my issue. My question is, the tactical, what's the barrel length on the tactical, including the threads? So the tactical right now is looking at a 4.3 inch. I'm pretty sure it's going to stay there. Um, okay. There's always the chance it changes, but I, probably a 4.3 inch. One inch In comp terms, and I'm there, man. Say it again. I said put a one inch comp and I'm there. So I think you're going to like what we've got. I have to keep, you know, some of this stuff's are in NDA. So yeah, I keep yeah. he's not, he's not going to let all the secrets out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm but, saying I'm saying it's threaded, right? It's a tactical, so it's threaded, correct? It's, it is I'm threaded. Saying, I'm saying I can run a one-inch comp, and I'm there. It is I'm, threaded. I'm, I'm over. So I'm there's good. some other cool and fun stuff we're looking at with regard to that barrel, and I can tell you that uh, you know Trey, you and your ghost squad are really going to like if you had a hit list of things that need to be on an entry-level price gun that oh, is. Yeah not entry level in quality, just like the BRG nine, right? It is, you guys shot it, you know, you held it. Yeah. It's a quality gun. It might be an inexpensive gun, but it's not a cheap gun. No, what, absolutely. What you're going to find on this tactical model is you go, I can't believe it hits everything on this checklist and doesn't make me break the bank to go buy it. Yep. Man, you got me going now. Golly, <laughs> you're killing me smalls. All right, so um, I think everyone's talking tactical. So the FUD life, it's just you're going to take a backseat to this one, Clove. Um, but it is what it is. So let's talk a little bit because this is something to me that's interesting because I've never really had this conversation with anyone because I've never had anyone that's kind of been in your unique situation meeting you right on the front end of a release. So how long ago was this meeting you had in Turkey to now it is released in January of 2022? How long has that process been? It's uh, to get a new gun to market from, from import, from an importer. Um, anybody that says they can get it done less than a year is, I shouldn't say they're lying, 
but they would have a lot of experience and yes. foresight. So it's been a year long process for us to get this thing to the market. Um, sometimes I tell people eight months cause that's when things started in earnest, but the sure. conversation really started about a year ago. You know, there's a, I, I don't want to give the playbook to everybody out there. Cause again, yeah, that's no, kind of competitive no. advantage. Right. But it's I can just, give it's, you- it's interesting to me cause I've never been around someone that has gone through this process because I'm sure the importation, just the paperwork and the lawyers involved on the import side has got to be stupid. Yeah. It's, you know, obviously ATF compliance is a, is, is a big deal. It really mm-hmm. matters that we have this great privilege of the second amendment, right? Um, I shouldn't say privilege. I'm sorry. We have this right of right. the second amendment. And if we want to keep that right, you know, in terms of the citizen having the right, that's inalienable. In terms of the company having the right, that's a different line. That's a privilege of, I have to play by the rules to keep that privilege because there are other people that can offer that ability to afford that opportunity to the citizen. So we have to check all the boxes. We have to go through the process, whether we agree with every step and the constitutionality of whether or not these things should be in place or not. The fact is is. it's the law of the land and we have to follow. So to give a little bit of insight, if there's a new model that the ATF is going to consider for importation, the law actually says you cannot import weapons. That's the top line of the law. The reason we're allowed to is because there's an exception to the law for sporting goods. And so the fact that our gun is considered a sporting weapon yeah. is what makes it importable. But in order for that sporting classification to apply to ours, it has to be evaluated by the ATF. That's not a quick process. Right. Right. And and so you that's send, what, you gotta send multiple models of it, don't you? I mean it's not just one, is it? You're you sending multiple to them? Yeah. So and and every time you're talking about a, a, a derivation or a deviation of that oh. model or a, an evolution of that model, it's up for re eval. So <laughs> it, it is a rather involved process. And again, this like I said earlier, uh anybody who's met us in the last nine years would say, Boy, those guys know how to spend money. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. We're still working out, trying to make sure we know how to to the make it end of the deal, right? Yeah. We like to talk about. Did you ever see that old South Park episode with the underwear gnomes? The underwear oh, it's a classic. Uh, probably not. Then. So the underwear gnomes—they know both ends of the equation. Steal underwear is step one. Step three is make lots of money. They're still trying to figure out yeah, step number two, right? Mm-hmm. It really is a good look into capitalism. Like we all know what we want to do is be successful yep. and we know how to get started. But that meat and potatoes in the middle, that's where a lot of people get lost. The nine years in the middle is is where we're at or that the, the nine months in the middle for this particular project. Yeah, it's just one of those things where to me, it's fascinating to, you know, when we first met and you're like, yeah, we just happened to be over at Turkey looking at a factory and got hooked up with this gun manufacturer. Now we're importing this. I'm like, wait, what? Like to me, for someone who's never done any of that or, or talked to anyone, that, I mean, I know, obviously know a lot of people that have done that, but I've never had that discussion about it. For me, that's like, that almost seems not worth the hassle. You know, <laughs> to me, you've got to really want to do this for it to make this whole year process worth it to where now it's a reality, you know? Well, and I'll tell you, you know, we're bringing this thing to market with an MSRP of $400, which in reality means a lot of the dealers are going to offer it up to their customers for less than MSRP. Sure. Um, This gun should be sold for more than that with the 
quality of the materials and the manufacturing and everything you get in the case, um, this gun should be sold for a lot more than that. The fact that it's not, um, I, I mean, I will tell you who's shortchanging themselves and that's, that's us. There's a sure. lot of profitability that we are foregoing because we are really trying to get this gun out to the public and make people understand this is a good firearm. This is a good company. You can trust this brand. Well, that was another question that I was going to bring up, and I'm going to bring Clover here in a second. I'm sure he has something. To, but, you know, when you start talking about your costs and all of the the money spent in the last year for this to happen, you know, margins are already probably pretty slim in the gun industry right now. But how does it how you know, is this something that you guys worked with the manufacturer or are you setting the the distribution prices? Or, I mean, how does how does one come up with we've got this gun now what are we going to sell it for i mean who is that you only or your company or is that the manufacturer involved importers i mean like how does that price come about yeah so it's it's different for every u.s importer i don't claim to have great insight behind the curtain um of what sure. some of the other guys who have come before us are doing but i do have some insight it is different from guy to guy to guy which companies have which relationships with the with the factories i can speak to our relationship and that's everything we try to make everything we do is we try to make it a collaboration mm -hmm. so fati the owner of brg burgu metal is the full name of the factory over there but we thought brg would mark a little better than burgu here in the usa um <laughs> matei is our sales rep who is he's our translator he is not just our like our language translator but our he's cultural translator yeah. yeah he's the guy we he's trust guy. who brought us to the to the table everything we think we're going to do here in the usa obviously we have a much better feel for what's the american market like which uh features are people going to love or not like which price points might work and not work we have a good feel for that but it's all a collaboration because those guys have the immediate hands-on knowledge of why did we design it this way? Why did we include or exclude features? What can you expect when the shipment shows up, you know, yeah. at your factory? So everything we do is there's a weekly group call, but there are daily calls where we're constantly working on it in a, in a group effort. I know that's a vague answer to your question, but no, it's I understand. Not yeah, it's not just Buffalo deciding. It's not just BRG deciding. This BRG USA collaboration is... I think that's why it's going to succeed is because th yeah. there's we, we put the egos out of this thing and say, what does a consumer want? How do we get it to them? Well, and you're also talking about your initial, not just yours, but theirs into the American market. But you're talking about the initial hello world moment. The price and the quality of the first gun will dictate the, the traffic for the rest of your company's life. If you come up way too high with a price and they're saying that people come out and say, it's a great gun, but not for $900, or they come out and say, man, this is an amazing gun for $400, that initial reaction to your gun makes your company forever. We look at companies that we saw come out a couple of years ago that probably had they waited six more months or another year to release their firearm. They release it too early and they had some major malfunctions happen with some early models. And now they spent the next five years scrapping, just trying to get part of the conversation. So that initial 
hello world with that first gun could impact everything. So, I mean, it sounds crazy, but the quality and the pricing of your first model is a huge deal for that company because it kind of sets the table for anything that comes down the line. Yeah, no, look, you're exactly right. There have been, I can't tell you how many hours of my life I have lost to this conversation of trying to figure out, hey, we think this gun could be very easily could be a $700 MSRP gun. Well, that's wonderful. If we could stand on the merits of it truly deserves to be a $700 MSRP gun. But it's also a name nobody's heard of from an importer that, frankly, people have. There are some other names I could throw out and I'll avoid it. But if you were a different name who had done this before, people go, okay, well, they've done it before. That's a trusted model. We're a new guy to the market. We're a new factory to the market. We have to price this thing in a way that it entices people to say, let's try it. We have no Absolutely. doubt once they try you it. Gotta generate, you got to generate that word of mouth. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, Clove, um, bring you in. And, and as far as the process, the manufacturing, do you have anything that you want to kind of ask or touch on? Yeah, I think I got about three different things. Um, Go for it, man. The floor is yours. First, talking about the, the, the regs. From you know, with importation, I've heard before something as silly as a name change or moving the location of a serial number, and having to totally restart the whole importation process over again with just something that benign, right? That simple, which is is ridiculous. Um, second thing is with and and this is well, I guess what's exciting, uh, Ken, about about BRG and and this being like the first model is you look at a lot of those those other importers and there's a lot not going to not going to mention any of the names but you look at a lot of those guys and they we talk about the margins right they have multiple models under multiple brands most of them right that they're importing you guys have the one at this point right one so having the one and then having you know taking the initiative to say, Hey, we want to put this out there, um, you know, at a price that we think makes it a really good deal. Um, you know, just kudos on, on that initiative, right? Because you don't have the luxury of having that catalog with seven, eight, a dozen, two dozen SKUs, right? Yeah. Having one SKU, there's a lot of pressure on that one SKU too, though, you know, <laughs> right. It's the classic double-edged sword, you know. If you come to market with one product, does your catalog look a little thin? Yep. <laughs> but if you come to product, come to market with one product, boy, you get to throw all of your love yeah. and focus and attention on that one product and making sure that's people true. have a great experience with it. Yeah, that's true. I know you got a couple more, man. Keep going, man. Go for it. It's your show right now, Clove. No, that was pretty much. I mean, it's the okay. you know it's sort of the what he was you know you were talking about with the nine and you're stick with the nine and offering some more models. It all goes back to that. Uh, you know, I think about it. People dog on this all the time, but it's the whole Glock perfection thing, right? It's like <laughs> a Glock is a Glock is a Glock is a Glock. It's not a I perfect mean, gun. They perfected their they, gun. They, their gun, their processes, their yeah. all of that, right? And that's a that's a proven approach. You know, you could disagree sure. that you like a Glock or whatever, or you, even that you like the company, but I think it's it's pretty established. It's a valid approach, and so working with that one model continually, um, yeah, you know, I think I think it's going to turn out well. I do. Well, too. It was fun at Range Day. We uh, at one point, I, you know, you, you're 
you guys were, have been there more than I have. This was our first year there, but you know, even with attendance down this year, we're in the booth and at certain points we're just overrun with people. Like you look up from one group and you give your spiel and then you're on to the next group and you give your spiel and you're trying to capture these people coming back from the range to find out if they had a good experience. What did you like? What did you not like? Well, I look up at one point, I find myself talking to this group of four guys and I realize they're not talking much. And when they do talk, they've got very heavy accents. They're I look down at, the damn thing you're saying. <laughs> I look down at the name badges and it all says glock, 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 glock. And I'm like, oh, nice to meet you, fellas. How you doing? They're their they're their spine. I here's the thing. Take that as a compliment, honestly. If Glock, if you're on Glock's radar and they send people over to find out what the hell's going on in that booth with this gun. You've done something, bro. That's that's just, seriously that's that's a compliment. Just don't announce a groundbreaking caliber at Shot Show in front of Glock. We'll take it. Historically, that's did you, bad. Did you ever hear that story? <laughs> I, I don't think I have. Oh yeah. So Clover, tell, tell Clover, Clover, tell him the story about the when Smith and Wesson released so, the forty Smith and Wesson. So I, I can't tell this story without pimping out one of the greatest books of all time. Sure, Rise of sure. America's Gun. Uh, go pick it up, Amazon, whatever, local library if you can. Uh, if you want to know about gun culture, if you want to know about Glock as a company, if you want to know about a lot of the things they innovated, not just as far as the firearm, but running a company, fighting sec- anti-Second Amendment stuff. Now, albeit for their benefit, but still fighting Second Amendment stuff. Um, amazing book. But anyway, it tells a story in there that uh, 40 obviously smith and wesson gonna come out with a 40 10 millimeter was too much because all the little babies are whining because they couldn't handle 10 millimeter it's all good i get it uh girly men and all that kind of stuff in the fbi and so smith and wesson says well what we're gonna do is we're gonna neuter a 10 millimeter we're gonna chop the case down it's gonna be less powerful it won't even probably won't even go through styrofoam but our our, our (laughs) agents need this it's all Paper target, you know, but so, it's yeah. it is. so anyway, so we got to have the 40 SNW. So here we go. And so Smith and Wesson collabs and produces the 40 SNW. They haven't built a gun yet, but they've got the 40 SNW and they release it at shot show. And they actually put dummy 40 SNWs in bowls out on their booth. So a Glock guy walks by, grabs him a handful, just like everybody else that goes to shot show, takes it back to the Glock booth, uh, makes a call over to Austria and by like Thursday of Shot Show, Glock had the very first forty caliber handgun. Gaston, Gaston said, <laughs> "I want before Shot Show is over. I want the first forty Smith and Wesson gun on the floor." And they had a Glock. No on the kidding. Floor yep. Before Smith and Wesson did yep. that wow. week at, in two days. Now, once again, a Glock's a Glock is a Glock. So at this point, we're talking a barrel, you know, or whatever. No, I will say it's not just a barrel. Like anytime you're inside the the gun industry. In two days, they designed a gun for a round that was introduced on a Tuesday. And on Thursday, there was a gun for it. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, that speaks. But that speaks speaks to Glock's manufacturing process and everything else, right? I mean, once they had the specs on the cartridge and everything, it was just a matter of some tweaks and. Sure. They had it with the prototype anyway to say, here it is. Yeah. Wow. I just think that that's one of the greatest stories ever. It was just one of those things where, and it comes back to this, and I'm not trying to blow smoke. If, if there were guys from Glock looking at your gun, they don't do that just to go do that. 
like someone had heard something. They heard something. So yeah. they heard something. Hey, and they said, Hey, I want you guys to go check that out. You know, so that's well, a good thing. And I'll take it a different direction too. Don't get me wrong. Like we're flattered that anybody would want to look at the gun. And, and honestly, the, the flattery should go to Fatih and, and Matei and the team at BRG and the people who build it over there. Um, not to say we haven't done a lot of hard work to bring it here and market it. We have, but we have. they designed it. They developed it, right? Sure. One thing, and I just happen to have one of the prototype ones here. And, you know, obviously this one is in the, the tan color. You know, you talk about people coming to the booth. So one of the things that was gratifying for us was this this backstrap right here is interchangeable. That's not a that's not a revolutionary idea, but there's not every gun that has that either. And so it comes shipped with the medium, but there is a small and a large. So if you're Johnny Big Hands, you can use the large the large backstrap there and get that comfortable grip. If you're me, I like the medium. It's perfect. But we had some some ladies that came over from two of I believe are the largest female shooting groups in the country and shoot like a girl and mm -hmm. a girl and a gun. Yep, they absolutely. both sent representatives over to the booth and we had out on display there, the large medium and, and small backstrap styles. Right. And to a, to a woman that came and shot this gun, they, they were extremely pleased with two things. One, the ergonomics uh, of mm -hmm. how it felt in your hand and shot in your hand, the comfortability of the shot, the, the, the recoil didn't eat you up. And the other thing was something that's that's in the process of being trademarked right now, and that's what is called the perfect the perfect touch slide release. So you know, obviously, some people call it the slide release, some people call it the slide stop. But we've all shot the gun where I don't care how big your hands are. Sometimes, brand new out of the box, you got to get both hands on that son of a gun and press <laughs> it down to get it to release. Right? This gun is the most comfortable. It's at the right spot, the right amount of pressure. Yep. You're not going to accidentally release it. I'm not going to say it's like a light touch. That's why it's called the perfect touch slide release. You can, all of the controls and operations of this gun are just comfortable. And so, look, yes, are we gratified that other gun manufacturers came over? Sure. I, I have to say probably the top gratification I got that day was the female shooters who came up, which represent a a long-awaited growing part of our industry and a very welcome part of our industry who said, we love that gun. That's comfortable and non-intimidating and easy to shoot. We want this gun in their hands. And if they're going to go out and, and represent it to their constituency and their members and shooters, Bingo. that's a fantastic partnership. Bingo. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Go ahead, Cliff. Yeah. No, I was saying bingo. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's and uh, huge. you know, women are the fastest growing demographic out there. So, and they're also the biggest demographic that have. I'm not saying intentionally, but have been almost overlooked by the industry with gun designs. Um, they don't, you know, hey, you just need to go with this gun; it's going to be okay for you. Very few guns had the thought process of women in the design process, and I think the last few years you're starting to see more and more manufacturers at least say hey we're gonna put a small backstrap or let's put a ball a small backstrap and test it with ladies to see if they like the feel and they're actually being included in the design process which is like i said half of the world are women and they need to be able to defend themselves just like anybody else so yeah Absolutely. honestly um i want to kind of transition to this one because um we met at SHOT Show, and we've become friends ever since. But, you know, from someone you said it's your first SHOT Show, you know, 
from from someone's perspective, regardless if this was a a weird year and all that, I know how it is for me and Clover in the media side of it. But from your side of it, whether you're talking Buffalo Cartridge or BRG, from the vendor side of Shot Show, what's that like? You know, is it, is it like ducking a water, or I mean, how does how does your week go that weekend? Was it what you expected it or what? Yeah, so not my first shot show, my first range day. My oh, first okay, shot okay. show was 2014. Okay. Um, but I will say this year was my most enjoyable shot show. So, the, yeah, the first year I went to shot show, I didn't know anybody. I okay. did not know anybody. So you show up and you just, you're kind of like that lost puppy dog. Not only did I not know anybody, I was the least knowledgeable person at our company because it was all new to me. And so I just kind of announced at the beginning of every conversation, I would just kind of raise my hand and go, I know less than anybody in the room right now. I just want you to know that. And I'm here to learn and to listen. Um, That takes a lot to say that though. A lot of people wouldn't say that. Yes and no. Like that's the other thing. Like you talk to friends and family. I mentioned, I didn't grow up in the gun industry and a lot of people are intimidated by it. And I get that you show up, everybody's tactical and, and beards and tattoos and, it's some of the best people I've ever met. Yes, I mean, are. it's just, it was so easy to say, look, I don't know anything because nobody was like, well, well then I don't, I'm not going to waste my time on you. Everybody's like, Oh, let me tell you some stuff. You know, it was, it becomes a brotherhood really quickly. It was fantastic. I think that is where our industry, our community, our culture gets the bad rap is, you look at a lot of our industry and all that are for military or whatever LEO. And and they're kind of like the bigger grizzly tatted up guys that are kind of intimidating looking. But I think that that's a big misconception. They think that we're just these weird gun loving, crazy brute animals. And there's some really, I mean, I hate to say it and it's going to sound weird, but, there are some really true sweetheart people in our community and culture that never even get a chance to be looked at because they, they look a certain way, you know? No, it doesn't sound weird to me at all because that's, that was exactly my experience was what you find is that people in the firearms industry have the most respect and reverence for the, the seriousness of the responsibility of owning and operating a firearm, you know, to have custody of, something that's capable of such extreme damage, but also capable of, of securing freedom and granting personal protection and making sure that you don't ever have to go to bed at night worried about feeding families. Absolutely. Those people that, that understand that responsibility treat it with the reverence that it's due. And so it's not a surprise that these, like these are thinking people. They're not, they're not bumbling goofballs that, come from some backwood that can't understand the right that we have. Some of us come from backwoods. (laughs) (laughs) I live in the hills of Arkansas. There's some backwoods people, but they're awesome people. You know, you and I were talking in the pre-chat about um, different things, but one of them we were talking about is, you know, and I talk about this all the time. Clover does on his podcast and all that. We talk about inviting and initiating that first shooting experience with people that are seemingly anti-gun and we don't understand why they don't understand and it's like i think if we just get out if these people are willing 
to go to the range with us just one time and we show them that safe, fun experience. We all remember the first time we pulled that trigger, that aha, oh my God, this is so much fun. And that I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful feeling, that adrenaline rush of your first shot. I think if we do that, I'm not saying that a lot of these people will become pro-gun, but they probably aren't anti-gun if, if they're willing to come out and shoot. And I think that there's they, they see how serious we take it. They see how safe we are. We see how serious we are taking safety and teaching them proper way and having a good time while being safe. Maybe that helps turn the tide. I just don't know how to get them on the range. If I can figure out how to get these people on the range, I think that that would be a huge, huge breakthrough. But, you know, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I Look, I don't claim to have any great insight or answers there, but I do yeah. wonder if – um, you know, this seems like it seems like there's a national day for just about everything now. So I don't know if there's a national bring a bring a first time shooter to the, the range. Shooter, there needs to be that. There's there national, needs to be that. There's National Shooting Sports Month every August. I yeah, know that. And I wonder if one of those days that we could start, even if we had to start it ourselves, pushing. Hey, let's take it. Let's take a beginner to the range. Not as a specific day, but through the month of August, you know, let's take a, a beginner to the range type thing and, and pushing that and that narrative. I think that would be huge. We've know. got seven months to plan this, so there needs to be a BRG nine at every range in America with some buffalo cartridge ammo there, and we can make this a reality. Sorry, I just got a text from a buddy of mine about the gathering. Um, we're down in, in South Carolina uh, in March. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of things we could do. I think that there's a lot of things that are hard, and I think that's probably why they don't get done because people are like, you know what, I just don't have the time or the energy to make this happen. But that's something that we actually could. You know, if, if everyone got on their own podcasts and got on their own websites and got on their own social medias and say, hey, during the month of August of National Shooting Sports Month, let's try to really try to take someone new to the range because that one person, then we don't know how many people that person takes to the range and converts. And it's just this spider web. And now we've got. Once again, they may not become pro-gun. They may not become activists. They may, you know, whatever. They may not even buy a gun. But now they have experience. They have the knowledge of what it's like to sit there and say, first of all, it's not as scary as you think. It's actually pretty fun. And oh, by the way, these people that we're condemning on a daily basis take this shit very seriously. They take safety. Maybe they're not what I think they are. That would be an amazing conversation. I think you're right. That's the right place to start the conversation is no, nobody has to take it. That's why a lot of things don't get off the ground is people feel like, well, that's too big. I can't take all that on my shoulders. If it's as simple as make a concerted effort to get one friend a year out to the range that's never shot before. To your point, maybe they don't become avid, but maybe they do at least turn the corner mentally to go, well, these people aren't terrible people. Shooting a gun doesn't make you a terrible person. You know, things that we take as obvious, a lot of other folks who have never been exposed to it, they don't get how obvious that should be. Absolutely. Stan out there was saying his wife and him takes first shoes. They shoot water jugs. And we were talking about that, you know, taking 
a watermelon or a, a fruit or something that will explode or something because that is a milk jug, a water jug, something that when they shoot it goes boom, some tannerite, if you will, whatever, something that they're going to remember and say, that was fun. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. Uh, Clove, you, I mean, you know, just jump on in if you got any things. I know that you spent a lot of time with new shooters being a coach in 4-H and all that. And I'm sure you probably got an insight on maybe what it takes to get some of these new people out. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I hate to say this, but honestly, and that's that's one thing where National Shooting Sports Month plays into it rather than maybe doing it on the 4th of July, Independence Day, Liberty. You know, you, you yeah. remove some of the political connotation for National Shooting yeah. Sports. And honestly, we've got to back off some of that a little bit. And that's that's tough to say, in my opinion, and it's tough to say and tough to swallow. But, you know, we all know the Second Amendment is a right. We all know everybody should, at the very least, respect the Second Amendment. And we all realize how important the Second Amendment is. So I'm not denigrating that in any way. I'm just saying you don't get somebody from absolutely zero knowledge of firearms to rah, rah, go to A, right, right. with one rain session one talk one whatever it, it, can you get somebody yeah i'm sure that that it can happen but that should be not the goal be, typically it's a progression right yep. ken can ken can in the that seed late Plant in life um yep. agree or disagree ken that it is for, for people like yourself it's a progression yeah so like on instagram my uh i'm late life hunter on instagram because you know, I considered it late in life. Most people don't start at 35 years old hunting, but I did. And uh, even though Trace made me promise I've I wouldn't never, bring I've it never up. Hunted. I've never hunted. Well, Trey I've made never... me promise I wouldn't bring it up in front of you, Clove, but it was with a bow. So, you know, archery. Nice. <laughs> nice. We're going to derail the chat now, bro. Sorry. I told you what was going to happen. <laughs> not a crossbow. Not a crossbow, right? No. That's no, cheating. no, no, no. That's cheating. Nope. No crossbow. I don't even own one. But regardless, we'll, we'll keep this tactical in, in respect of Trey. Been real uh, guys. I'll let these guys take over. I'll see y'all next week. So, 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 <laughs> so, 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 just so Ghost feels better, he knows that my my PSE Stinger does have a Picatinny rail, a flashlight, and a laser on it. So, is that a tactical bow? I mean, it is where I come from. Yeah, yeah. He's he's gonna fall asleep though. So we have to pivot quickly. My point <laughs> is, regardless of where it starts. For me, it was like being a kid again. You know, yeah. I, I mentioned I shot BB gun as a kid. I got out, I started shooting archery, and I went, well, you know, just letting stuff go down range is a lot of fun. Yep. And then, so that pr quickly progressed into pistol shooting um, and a little bit of rifle shooting. And so before I knew it, you know, now I'm out there waterfowl hunting, and I, and I realized there's a lot of good stuff that comes along with the shooting sports that yep. literally 10 years ago, my eyes were closed to. I just mm -hmm. wasn't, it wasn't on my radar. Yeah. You know, for me, um, getting into the shooting sports with IDPA, now I'm, I'm getting into the long range competition, but you know, my competition life started with IDPA and then I did some steel challenge and stuff. But for me, ironically for me, um, and maybe this is how I'm wired. I, I'm, I'm ultra competitive. Like, like I'll cut your throat to beat you in dominoes type ultra competitive. Um, Noted. but for yeah, but yeah, but for me, my family doesn't play Monopoly, by the way, because of me. Let's just be real. I, I, I can admit that. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Anyways, um, 
yeah. So, um, but for me, the IDP, the, the competition was was basically born out of loving to go to the range, but honestly, kind of getting a little bored just going to the range and doing training or doing practicing or whatever. It was I I needed something in my mind to get me to want to go back to the range all the time to, to get better at something. And so let's say, well, let's go shoot some IDPA stuff because I, when I first start, I'm God awful, terrible. Well, let's just be real. I'm a good shot, but it's a whole different ball game when you're talking about competition. And so now I had a reason to go back to the range and focus on getting better at a skill. Um, anyone can go and shoot paper, but if you go with a purpose Whatever that purpose is, whether it's shooting sports or whatever. But if you go, instead of just going to the range saying, I've got a box of round of ammo and I'm just going to go and shoot. If you say, I've got a box of ammo and I need to work on a draw or, you know, pre- presentation and making sure that I'm at the same height every time and I've got my grip pressure, whatever it is that you're working on, that's when you actually become a better guns fighter gun handler gun shooter which is going to make your whole life better because if you are caring for self-defense that's going to make you better but it, it, it's the shooting sports side and i get where a lot of people don't get involved with shooting sports because they say that shooting sports is competition that's not necessarily true that's one facet of the shooting sports but if if i think where i came into it was it gave me a reason to want to get better does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense to you, but for me, that's exactly what it was about is it gave me a reason to go to the range and perfect a craft or at least try to perfect a craft and, and get yeah. better at handling. And that's really what it's all about. Go ahead. I just got a text. He said, I don't know if I've gotten a text. Well, and you know, we, we obviously just touched on like three very different parts of the shooting culture. You know, there's the shooting sports for competition, which is linked into driving yourself to being a better operator. So God forbid, if you find yourself in that situation, you're, you're proficient. But that kind of yeah. leads into that, what probably should be the first thing that gets mentioned, and that's personal protection, personal defense, your, your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms and and use them if necessary. And then there's that third piece that's, that's hunting and providing. All of the, look, firearms are, there's something different to everybody, but the fact is everybody's got the right to go experience it in their own way. And it's what's fantastic. It's what's revered around the world about being an American is people, they come here. You, you talk to so many people who are foreign exchange students or yeah. people who are here on travel visas and they go, am I allowed to shoot a gun? Can I go to a shooting range? There's an allure to it, but there is a responsibility within obviously our industry to, to help people understand, look, this can be safe, it can be fun, it can be enjoyable, but it is also a kind of a sacred right that is preserved here for a very specific reason. Yeah, well, you know, and- my, my wife's Japanese. I'll, I'll just do two seconds. I'll, I'm not very smart. I'll forget this, but my wife's Japanese. She doesn't like firearms. And it's not because she hates them, I don't think. I don't think that she's typically scared of them. It, she grew up in a culture where they're just not there. You know, you don't own firearms in Japan. So it is something that's way new, like way out of the realm. She didn't grow up having guns around. Whether she shot them or not, they weren't around. Uncle Joe didn't have a 22 rifle or whatever. So 
the firearm lifestyle and culture for foreigners are you're right for some people it's like man you guys are like that's why a lot of people think that america is a wild wild west and still like cowboys and shit because we have guns and it's like we're not meeting out in the street at high noon you know but but i think a lot of people think that because that's just not something even that countries that allow firearms in their country aren't as free with shooting them and having whatever you want there's highly restricted of what they can have over there in europe and all that so being over here and being truly you know free being able to have firearms is for foreigners it's kind of a weird thing um and i can speak for my wife like i said she doesn't want anything to do with firearms and she's just like you know, she doesn't care that i shoot and have them all that she's like hey that's not me i didn't grow up with that i have no desire to be part of that lifestyle but yeah it's weird go ahead clove Oh, I was just going to add too. Ken talked about, you know, obviously self-defense in hunting and, and, you know, shooting sports and all of those angles. There's another angle too that, you know, I think we all subscribe to in some way or another. And that's the mechanics, the workmanship, the craftsmanship, the beauty. Sure. Right. Absolutely. It's yeah. like, you know, heirlooms, things that are passed down, sentimental value. Yeah. You know, you talked about, Ken talked about the old school, you know, how people, <laughs> complain about innovation but then want the old school at the same time right and it's because of just you think about you know a hundred years ago over a hundred years ago 150 years ago right think about the first revolvers that that came out or the first you know smokeless yeah. cartridges and the first you know and to be able to Can you imagine to the conversation like, what the hell are you talking about a revolver what are you talking about what, what are you what are you trying to make here you know it's like what you don't have to stick it down the muzzle and pack <laughs> it what what yeah. what you know and thinking about how that's done in a blacksmith shop or something right back then yeah we got a we got a call coming in so uh pat let's hirsch. see pat hirsch let's see here arms citizen podcast who we got here Ah, you got Pat Hirsch on the line tonight. How about that? We are, we are so good. Let me uh, let me put up your thing. I've even got your own little overlay now. What's up, Pat? How you doing, brother? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, just wanted to uh, thank uh, thanks uh, thank everybody for the uh, chat tonight, and uh, thank you for bringing out this gun at a great price point because i think there's one other little thing and it may be minor but at the price point that these guns are releasing at what about people that want to conceal carry and have to get a license and have to go through all the rigmarole and spend those couple hundred dollars to get a license i mean you, you get a seven eight nine hundred dollar gun you know somebody that's on a budget you know and yeah, it now turns into a twelve hundred dollar gun with all the other fees you're paying exactly yeah that's, exactly. i didn't think about that yeah exactly so that's that was just a little point uh that i wanted to bring up tonight because you know that <clears throat> that makes a big difference i mean when uh, somebody's budgeting in a gun and ammo and stuff like that you know They'll sit down and put pen to uh, paper and go like, okay, well, this is how much the gun's going to cost. I want to conceal carry, so I've got to go take the class. This is how much X amount of money. Then i got to be fingerprinted and all this other stuff, and then I've got to practice and everything. You know, depending on which state you're in, you know, sh shoot, that can run anywhere from 
two to four hundred dollars extra on top of the guns. So, no, I, I think it's great that they're releasing this gun at this price point, and hopefully, the company takes off really well. Um, I know I'm going to definitely be looking into one of these guns because you know I'm I'm you know with four kids and everything, I'm definitely on the uh, budget friendly side of everything. So. I'll have to definitely give this gun a hard look, and uh, just from everything that I've heard tonight, I'll, yeah, definitely have to take a look. Awesome, Pat. It's good to meet you. I'm glad you called in because you you reminded me of something I wanted to point out. And you know, whether it's a, a cartridge, uh, a bullet design, or a gun design, everything is designed with a specific purpose in mind, right? And so. There's a reason that there are several, for anybody out there who's into to woodworking or carpentry, there's a reason there's several different designs of hammers. They all have their own little niche, even though they all, from a distance, seem to be made for the same purpose. All guns are not created for the same purpose, right? And so our exactly. gun, we, we feel, is a pretty versatile fit. There's a lot of guns that are on the market that are better at concealment. You know, they're a lot smaller. However, that's their primary function is concealment. And so they're some of the hardest guns to operate. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you need a gun that is excellent at concealment. They have their place in the market. Sometimes you have guns that are excellent at accuracy. And they tend to have, going back to the earlier part of our conversation, a longer barrel and a, a larger grip. We feel that our gun is positioned squarely in the middle of that compact market with a four-inch barrel where it's not a subcompact and it's not a full size, but it can be used for concealment or to go have a good time on the range. It can be all the things you want it to be. be in either gun or whatever. Yeah. Precisely. In a, in a defensive situation, in a range situation, in a concealment situation, you can go out as a first-time shooter and say, hey, I'm going to spend 400 MSRP, perhaps less if your dealer sells it for less than that, and in my case, I've got interchangeable back straps. I've got two magazines. I've got a load assist. I've got a full cleaning kit and I've got gun oil. I can essentially buy this kit in, in, in the complete case and I can go have options of how I want to use it. Right, exactly. Especially with all the accessories you've got there, because especially for the first time shooters with that cleaning kit, you know, I mean... You know, that's startup cost, too. I mean, if somebody goes out, let's say Aegis, wink, wink, out there. Thank you, Rod and Shelly. Uh, <clears throat> you know, having to go out and buy a cleaning kit. You know, and, and if let's say you get a good quality one, you know, that's all zipped up, ready to go, even if it's a smaller one that's, uh, let's say, ammo-specific or caliber-specific, you know, to shrink it down instead of getting a big gun kit, like something from like Brownells or, you know, something like that with a million brushes and stuff in it like that, you know, that's still, that's still startup cost too. Yep. So it's no, that's, that, that's great that that's in there. So. Yep. Well, we're excited. We're excited for all the reasons you just said, and I'm excited that, you know, that you see the value there. We, we certainly do. We maybe we're a little biased, but, um, as a guy that you know had to get into the to the gun owning mindset myself within recent memory, it's intimidating. When you're a first time buyer, it is intimidating. We have been around it for a while now. Most of you guys longer than me, and so sometimes you forget just 
how intimidating that can be to the guy who goes, I'm going to buy it for the first time. I remember the first time somebody handed me a gun. Yeah. I felt like, oh, my, am I holding it right? Am I, obviously, I know I'm not supposed to point it at anybody, but what's the etiquette here? The whole sure. thing can be overwhelming. And so the lower yeah. you can make that barrier to entry, you know, for the first time user, the better. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely 100% agree. So, but yeah, anyway, that was my only uh, <clears throat> kind of add on for tonight. And I just wanted to uh, uh, thanks, Ken. For uh, thanks. Uh, thank you, Ken, for being on tonight. So I can't speak tonight. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, good chat tonight. And uh, thanks, we will see you guys on the next one. We'll be here. Thanks for calling in, brother. Appreciate you very much. Great to meet you. All right. Thanks, yep. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hey, Trey, I see a couple comments on the side here. People asking about yeah. a holster. Yeah, so that, that was another thing. So Bucks is the only thing that's missing for his own holster. I was actually going to bring that to you because – for someone that's going to get rid, let's say, go out there and buy the holster, being this is a new firearm, have you guys worked with holster companies, or is there a holster out there that could fill? Oh, there it is. There you go. Talk about yeah. it a little bit. So we've got a couple of prototypes. Um, I can tell you that there has been a gun sent off to a couple of the main holster manufacturers. So Alien Gear has got one. Um, you know, watch their website some folks that we've really enjoyed working with um, Trey, you and I talked and Clove, we might have as well going down to the basement at Chacho is one of my favorite places to be. It's actually, yeah. you know, where I have spent most of my time since I started going in 2014, there's a lot of awesome people that are set up there who are just hustling, moving, shaking and have great products. Yeah. We met some folks down there this year from concealment express. They've got rounded. Great their people. Brand of awesome people. Awesome people. Yep. We love Rounded. So we've been working with them. There's a gun in their hands right now. They're working on a, on several holster designs. One thing that's really interesting about Rounded, for, for your viewers that haven't heard of them yet, yep. they're a click fit and not a friction fit. And there's a huge difference on your experience into and out of the holster with those guys. And so their the, design... Audible is a big for some people, having that audible reassurance, maybe, if you want to call it that. You got it. And so like with a friction fit, you're really just kind of that kydex is molded around the whole body of the gun and it slides in and out. And of course, you can feel there's nothing wrong with the friction fit, but yeah. you feel that the whole body of the gun slides into and out of and is held secure by the whole body. Whereas these guys are really focusing on that trigger guard and that mm -hmm. click fit that you get is because the kydex is very precision molded around that trigger guard. That's specific. Um, so we had a call the other day with Steve and Ben and the guys from around and they're fantastic. We're so excited to get our first prototype of the holster from them. And, the, you know, look, we're looking to make these holsters available on the common retail sites as well sure. as our, our site. So folks don't have to worry about, can I find magazines? Can I find holsters? Yes, it's all going to be available um, in the very, very near future. The awesome. gun itself right now is some dealer direct. Um, dealers have it. We are still building our distribution channel. Things like this are going to help us because the bigger groundswell we can big if, uh, that we can build if people go into their dealer and saying, "Hey, do you have this gun?" Hopefully, they do. If they don't, they go to their distributor and say, "Hey, do you have this?" The dealers will go to their distributor and say, "Do you have this gun?" If the distributors don't have it, then they're going to start coming to us. The more often that request comes out, and then we can build the network. But it's going to work the same for holsters for magazines. They'll be available on our website. And then sure. hopefully in the next few months, it, it starts to become more uh, universally available. 
So obviously the distributor deals are where you try to get the, the biggest bank because they're able to buy massive amounts. But you did say there are some dealer directs. So if if let's say Pat in Nebraska wants his local gun shop to carry their gun, can they can his local gun shop contact you directly and maybe start a correspondence of bringing in directly to them? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, traditionally there's there's a couple different models. Some people do distributor only, some do dealer only, and some do dealer and distributor. So yeah. we're taking the latter approach. We will have this gun available through distributorship who will then pass it on to their dealers. But if there are some of those dealers that are willing to buy with a little more volume, then they can kind of come in in between there and, and have a direct relationship with us. Yeah. Uh, now, now, Buck out there, maybe this is in the, the tactical model, but gonna or is there the talk about optics? <laughs> like yes. So I mentioned that tactical that model. Can you, can you give that away yet? I don't know. It, it's okay. That's You cannot have a tactical model. Somebody earlier was on the, on the sidebar here, and they said, well, if yeah. it's not a threaded barrel, what's the point? Yeah. It's, it's the same thing with a rear slide cut for the RMR. you got to have the tall front sight. You've got to have it. Yeah, absolutely. you got to have a threaded barrel. you got to have an RMR cut. You have to have yeah. a tall front sight post for co-witnessing. You have to have those things, right? Yep. Otherwise, you're, you're not really dealing with a tactical gun. Well, you, you, you can... You can call it what you want. Now, I don't run dots on my handguns. I never have. I don't like it. But I'll tell you what, I do like the higher sights, the 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 optic cut, the optic sight size, just on a normal handgun. If it's cut for it, you know, they've got the, the larger sights. I do like those sights. Now we were talking about this. I'll bring Clover here in a second. He's got something it looks like. But um speaking of sights. Um, we met you at Rains Day, but your booth that you were using was at another company's booth that are awesome people. But uh, when you come to sites, are there going to be maybe some aftermarket options available for night sites and all of that down the road? Yep. So thank you for bringing it up. Night Vision, fantastic company. Yes. Their history awesome is, people. yeah, their history is so cool. So these guys have been making compasses for the U.S. military since the 80s. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the military spec for a compass is it has to be self-illuminating. And people go, okay, well, what does that mean? <clears throat> what does not mean it's going to take sunlight or moonlight through some kind of fiber optic? It doesn't mean it's going to take yeah. some battery-operated source. Self-illuminating means exactly that. It has to be self-illuminating. Well, the only way to do that, to my knowledge, the way these guys are doing it, is with tritium, which is a yeah. low, a low emission radioactive substance so they've got little canisters of tritium little vials of tritium that are around the face of the compass that are lighting this thing up they have since pivoted as a company and said, well what else can we do with tritium in addition to these compasses for the military and they came to the obvious conclusion which is night sites you know it's it's in hot by the way the coolest booth at shot show this year they had the coolest they had the nightclub you guys heard us talking about the club and the this was night vision. Uh, awesome. Awesome people. But yeah, cool booth as well. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So what Ghost was referring to is when you show up to their to their booth, they've got this back entrance you can go in. And it's like you walk in and you're not sure if you, you just entered a rave. You know, it's uh, it's the black lights. And, yeah. <laughs> but they have a whole battery of guns you can select from to show their different styles of night sights and then 
you know, point them down range, obviously. Right. These guys are, they're true ground up designers. So they take, if they have any OEM gun manufacturer that comes to them and says, Hey, we want sights for our gun. Or if they do it aftermarket and say, we want to design night sights for that gun. They do that in house. They're not grabbing anybody else's design files and just swapping out the the dots right. and, and throwing in tritium. They're designing sites that are specific for each gun, each dovetail cut, whatever the case may be. And so for our gun, uh, they're working on it. We're getting very close to the completion of the process. They want to have sites that look as close to the original ramp sites on the gun as possible. Sure. You know, and obviously most of your viewers are going to be aware of, of what we mean by ramp sites that they mm -hmm. ramp up, you know, at front and rear. The, the sites they're going to design will be so true to the original design that it doesn't matter if you have the factory original or the night sites, it feels and aligns the same way, which is what you want as a shooter. Sure. The, the wonderful thing about night vision is they'll, if you go to their site right now, if you go to night vision's website, it, it doesn't matter if you have a Smith or a Glock or a Canic, whatever it is, they've got an option available for you. So we want not we want we are partnering with them where you will have the option when you buy a brg9 you can either buy it factory direct with the night sights or if you bought the standard msrp version but later decide hey as a christmas gift to myself whatever you can come to our website or theirs buy those night sights if you've got the capability yourself you slide it out the dovetail you press the new ones in or you take it to your local gunsmith when you swap them in you don't have to recite your gun because you're not dealing with a totally different site configuration. It's true to the original OEM manufacturer design. Right. Uh, Chloe, I know you wanted to come in here a little second, but go ahead and uh, do what you got to do. Um, so back on the holsters, just a second. Um, hmm. Are blue, are blue guns going to be available eventually talking about holster companies or are you just yeah. sending them out right now? Uh, sending samples. I'll, I'll be completely honest. It was something that was not on my radar until very recently. And so, uh, I will just say it's a work in progress. Right. Yeah. Sure. Cause that will availability of those will certainly increase the amount of options out there. You've got a lot of, you know, small mom and pop companies, um, to that effect, mom and pop companies, you were talking about the distributor, you know, dealer direct models. Um, so one thing, and this is, I, I'm glad to see that you're, you're utilizing both, but one thing that has been a real stick in my crawl for the last couple of years anyway, is my local gun shops, mom and pop lifeblood of the industry. I mean, truly, um, are having major problems with their distributors because their distributors cater to these big conglomerates as well as them. And the big conglomerates get everything. I've got one gun local gun shop that told me the other day that um, he knows good and well he's getting lied to by his distributor because some of the same people that use that distributor are getting 22 and he hadn't had 22 from them. They, they just tell him that, well, we haven't seen any. And he's like, I know that's a lie. You know, I know they're lying to me. And I'm like, they've got to be because they're feeding it to other people. So they're just not telling you that they're telling you they ain't seen it, but they actually are. So it's, it's good to see that you're willing to work with, you know, you recognize that and you're working dealer direct with some of the mom and pops. My, I guess my question with that is where do you, do you can't, or can you even say where you fall with, are you going to be more concerned with filling orders for the smaller 
mom and pops or are you going to placate more to the distributor side of things do you think well at the risk of sounding like i'm i'm giving you too vague of an answer we are really taking an any and all approach right now so we know our place in the world right we're a, we're a new brand from a new importer um right. and while we know we've got a great product and we're doing a lot of things the right way we're in a mode where we we want as many people as possible to experience this gun. We just think it's good for the industry for people to feel a gun this good for $400 or less, depending on the dealer price. So um, there's nobody that we're going to turn away from a conversation. We right. have our dealer direct model on what the minimum order volume is and, and where that price needs to be. But if somebody calls up, we're not going to say, hey, we're too good or too big or what or too anything to talk to you. Um uh, mm-hmm. We're going to talk to anybody because we want to get this gun in as many hands as possible. Right. And, I, and, I would, and I would, and I would, and I would assume if you had a dealer contact you and they say, "Hey, I can't get any of these from my freaking distributor," right? At that point, you know, there would be a, a conversation about, "Well, okay, forget the distributor. How can we get them to you?" Right? Yep. Um, on the on the night sights, on the night vision stuff being standard, that's that's pretty awesome, um, and just the fact that that's an option for yeah. those to come standard. And I'll tell you why with a lot of the, a lot of the policies and other things that go on on YouTube, <laughs> there is occasionally some hubbub about modification that goes yeah. on. Um, and so it w- it's now going to be really easy to say that these are standard, <laughs> right? These are a yeah. factory standard, you know, sites on this from night vision. Yeah. So, that's yep. it and that's that's trivial to most people but as a creator i'm like wow that that alleviates a, a you know a lot of having to explain or work around policies and stuff like that which is kind of cool yeah and the um you know the the whole piece of modification or factory and you know it, that was one of the first pieces of feedback we gave to the factory in turkey was understand that the american market is it's it's varied of course there are people who just they buy it stock they shoot it stock and they leave it stock and then there are people who are the complete opposite end of the spectrum where the very first thing they do is kind of like the harley guy like how do i make it my own and so you know we were very or you order grips for a gun that you haven't even received yet right Right, Clove? <laughs> a little, little bit, man. A little bit. Or, or know, bumpers. We order grips for, for something we know is coming in pretty soon. Grips. We're already ordering like accessories for it. I haven't even got the gun yet. <laughs> grips, grips, magazine bumpers. Yeah. 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 That's what it is. That's what it is. I'm typically yeah. uh, keeps my stuff stock. I really, I don't, I try not to, unless there's an absolute need to upgrade something. I try to keep my stuff stock most of the time. Well, I love it. Okay, I was but. just gonna say, well, when you're doing a review type stuff and review work, yeah. I mean, for the first couple of videos or something, you really mm-hmm. need to do that. You need to showcase it, you know, out of the box, stock, original, you know, the way that it came uh, yeah. before you move into something else. Because you know, as Ken said, I would, I would say the vast majority of people never change, upgrade, do anything. Probably, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so we heard a, an amazing stat. We use an independent lab. Um, to certify the stuff that comes in because, you know, we want to make sure we're being responsible before we take something to the American public and say, hey, we're going to have it independently tested. So 
we torture tested our own guns. We examined the lab results that came out of the factory, but we said we're still going to have this third party lab who's very reputable, works with a lot of the major brands. We're going to have them certify this, this firearm and take it through all the drop tests, the safety tests, the bore obstruction tests, all that stuff. And having a conversation with one of their head engineers, he threw some numbers at me that blew my mind. He said that the, the data is overwhelming that says that 80% of the guns sold in the U.S. market never get more than 250 rounds. Through. 80%. Yeah. No doubt. He said only another 10% ever get more than 2,000 through them. And then it's that final 10% that's the guys that do the competition shooting or they're the, you know, the weekly uh, gun club guys and the, the shooting mm -hmm. league guys. When he told me 80% get less than 250 shots fired through them, I, I about fell out of my chair. Yep. Nice. Yeah, and, and that's something that we in this kind of this community, most of us that shoot a lot, don't understand that concept because we don't understand if I buy a gun. See, one of those things, it sounds weird. Every time I get a new gun, I have like an internal rule that I have to shoot it within 24 hours of getting, or why the hell am I getting it? You know, I want at least going to go like most of the time I'll get it, I'll go to the gun shop. I'll pick it up and I'll drive straight to the range and at least put a magazine through it just to shoot it. It might be a few weeks or a month before I shoot it again, but that first 24 hours I'm getting it to me. There are people that will buy a gun and I don't understand it, but there's a lot of people that do it and they'll put it in the nightstand or in the drawer or in the safe and, they might shoot a box of 50 might last 10 years for them. Mm -hmm. And I just yeah. don't understand that, but that's, there's a lot of people that do that. That's just the way it is. You know? Yeah. I think there's a lot that way. And, and also, you know, for me, I own multiple firearms. I buy firearms for multiple reasons. Sure. I've got a few that's never been shot and never will be shot even. Right. Um, yeah. I've got some that are, fairly uncomfortable to shoot or require certain like the 50 for example that requires certain logistical things it's just a pain in the butt to take it out to shoot that does not get shot very often so in ammo you cost you're not going to take a 50 bmg and true. shoot it well and ammo cost is not even that it could be any number of right. it could be nine millimeter yeah. nowadays with ammo cost i mean honestly but right you know all of that plays exactly into that data can that you talked you talked about so it's not surprising at all well, and I think, you know, we talked earlier about trying to get new people out to the range. I think one thing that, you know, my instructor, when I first got into shooting, he drilled into me was that shooting is a perishable skill. It's not like riding a bike. You don't hop on and you're just as good after two years off. You know, you can take two years off of riding a bike. I'm probably on 10 years off of riding a bike. I could hop on. I'll be just fine. Yep. It is not the same with the firearm. It's, it's everything from the psychological level of comfort with, you know, what a immense responsibility of this thing that you have in your hand to the literal muscle control and discipline that it takes to get the right grip and the right sight alignment and the right uh, trigger discipline to keep those shots on target the way that you should. And so as ambassadors for the second amendment and for shooting sports in general, I do think we have a responsibility if we take people out to the range to say, Hey, if you like this, if you're going to get a gun, if you're going to keep it by your bedside, it's your responsibility, obviously keep it safe, children in the house, etc. But it's also your responsibility. Get out to the range on a at least semi-consistent basis and make sure you're proficient with this tool that you bought presumably to protect your life in a dire situation. 
well, if it's if it's important enough to go out and spend several hundred dollars and make that emotional and, and intellectual commitment to it, it's important enough to practice from time to time. Yeah, in, in self-defense, with the ranges in which most self-defense occur, or the range at which most self-defenses occur, it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't take a lot. That's my opinion. But, I mean, it doesn't take a lot. It really doesn't. And so, yeah, you should be running through, you know, ammo prices aside, I guess, availability aside. I mean, you should be running through, you know, fifty round box every quarter at at an absolute minimum. At a minimum, say. yeah. At an I would say minimum. now, back a couple of years ago, when you could get nine millimeter for ten dollars for fifty rounds, I could say that if you weren't putting fifty rounds a month, maybe something was probably you needed to do a little bit more. Um, I don't think it's outrageous to expect someone, especially if they intend on using it, whether or not they're carrying it every day makes no difference to me. If you've got it in a nightstand or in a safe right there by your nightstand and you plan on having to use it for self-defense, should that happen, then you need to be proficient. I'm not saying you need to be an expert. You don't need to be a world champion. Be proficient in your shooting skills and asking to shoot 50 rounds a month or 50 rounds a quarter, which gives you a, a, a 200 rounds a year is not too much to ask. I don't think. Well, and coming back around with that to the, to the BRG, I think. So, you know, my daily carry for the most part is the Glock 42. I love it. Um, I'm proficient with it. It's a joy to freaking shoot. And so you, the firearm you shoot the most with the firearm you shoot the, the least is typically the firearm that most people carry. Right. And for sure. me, it's not that way. It's like, I, I legit shoot my 42 more than anything else. Probably you're pretty close and eh, 22 aside, right. Or maybe 12 gauge aside. Um, it's the handgun. I shoot the most anyway. So you're coming back around to that. You've got to have something. I'm saying you got to have something that that feels good, that's enjoyable. That, and that's what I said earlier about the BRG having that familiar feel and everything to it for me. Or just, or just straight up enjoying and shooting what, the gun. Yeah. yeah, and what Ken was talking about earlier with the ladies that come over and they enjoyed the, you know, mm -hmm. really like the feel and everything. I think that's important, and I think the BRG potentially has that to be a firearm that people legitimately enjoy shooting, and so they will get out more and shoot it. Well, and I'll tell you, you guys met Rodney at Shot Show, so Rodney is our operations oh, yeah. manager, and he is, he's a guy that. His hobbies are staying sharp physically and tactically, right? So he goes home. He doesn't watch TV. He finishes dinner, and he goes down to the basement. He does gun drills for an hour a night, and that's after he gets in his run and his lifting. Like, that's just – that's how he's wired. And when he came to me after we started, you know, really, we were – are we going to do this or are we not going to do this? He was one of the first guys to say, Ken, I'm telling you, this gun is going to be something. He had switched from carrying a couple of the major brands for the past 20 years to carrying this BRG as his everyday carry. He started walking the walk. It was on his hip every day. And he said, this is the gun I want to trust in this situation. And that was a big moment for me to go. Oh, yeah, for sure. Man, this guy, he's not just saying it like because he wants to be in on it. Like this, this guy is so he put in his on life personal. into the hands of this gun. Absolutely. And so he tells me like, yeah, I've only put only put 10 to 12,000 rounds downrange, depending on when I had this conversation with him. 
I've put 12,000 rounds down range, but I've had 50,000 presentations with the weapon, is what he calls it. Absolutely. Where he's pulling it out of the holster. He's dry, dry firing fire. every Absolutely. night, right? And so, to my in my mind, look, Rodney's the extreme end of the spectrum. Most of us are not going down to the basement for an hour a night doing gun drills, doing 50,000 presentations with a gun in six months. We're just not. But yeah. th- let's not be the other end of the spectrum, too, that buys a gun because we saw on a, a news article something that scared us. We shot it just enough to get through a concealed carry class and then put it in the bedside safe or carry it in our purse every day, but don't shoot it. There's got to be a better middle road for most people to go, I'm not going to do 50,000 presentations. That's fine. But, but don't be the person that buys it and doesn't shoot it for a year. Come on. Yeah. We, we, you owe yourself better than that. Yeah, we still got the original 50 rounds we bought with this gun 10 years ago. Why? Right. You know, why? Uh, quick question. Uh, K Dingo out there. This is back on the uh, ammo side of things with Buffalo Cartridge. Will Buffalo Cartridge introduce a cartridge in the 30 Super Carry? Never say <laughs> never. Yeah. Uh, it's such. It's going to be one of those things where uh, someone was asking me about that, and I said, you know what really needs to happen for the 30 Super Carry to, to really hit because we've seen calibers come and go. Some of them hit big. Some of them you never hear from again. But it's going to take more than one ammo company producing it, and it's going to take more than one gun company producing a gun for it. Uh, Smith and Wesson, sure, but you start seeing the Rugers, the Tauruses, um, Sigs, or who are Glock, or you start seeing five or six companies producing a model chambered in 30 Super Carry. That's going to either force Federal to really amp up or other companies to come out with that caliber as well. But it's going to take a combination because there's a good chance we don't see or hear about 30 Super Carry a year from now. I mean, there's a legitimate chance. We've seen that happen. But I think for 30 Super Carry to survive and be that viable void between 380 and 9, there's going to need to be multiple production carriers of the ammo and multiple production models of handguns. So I think you'll see other companies, whether or not you guys get involved or not. But I'm sure you'll start seeing some that are at least going to try to see if they fit in that market. With... I'm not real sure when a company like Federal develops something like that, for example. I don't yeah. know how licensing and I don't know either. You know, other things can work. I'm not familiar with that. Ken making they might have it for the first that, year or two that they can only one of the producers that you know, right? Yeah. I mean, right. Well, you know, you guys mentioned wildcat cartridges earlier, and so that's how all cartridges start back from way back in the day before they called them wildcat cartridges. Somebody comes up with a concept, right? And they say, here's why we think it's a good concept. I'll be honest. When I first thir- saw 30 Super Carry, I thought, why? But then I right. read about it and right. I thought, well, they do have a point because you can achieve the same ballistics, debatably better, but at least the same with a 30 Super Carry with the slightly smaller diameter of the projectile. But then basically what you get is a smaller diameter casing where you can fit more in the magazine and have more firepower in your hand at a time. Okay, I understand the concept. What I try to explain to people all the time is that when they say, oh my gosh, you get to be in the ammo business or you get to be in the gun business, that's fun. Well, it is. Yeah, There's an aspect of it that's fun. But at the end of the day, it's still manufacturing. Okay, you're still making X number of widgets and you're trying to compete with this guy over here who's 
who's got a bigger, better, cheaper widget factory. So when you look at something like the 30 Super Carry, you have to understand that for the first, and I'm throwing numbers out here, but whatever it is, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of its life, it's competing with a behemoth that's been on the market. If you look at the history of the 9mm cartridge, it's got a longer history than most people realize, and it took it that long to become king. Kings don't give up their crowns easily. Right. So could the 30 Super Carry become something? Trade to your point, maybe. Maybe it goes away. Maybe it becomes something. I wouldn't bet the farm on it just because that's the safe bet is to not right. bet the farm on it. But is there some merit to that caliber? And does our industry does somewhat mm. thrive on people coming out with new things that folks want to innovate around and be part of? It's possible. There is some credence to why that caliber exists. But for a little guy like us, uh, to answer uh, Mr. Dingo's question here, no, I don't think you should expect to, to see us jumping on that bandwagon anytime soon. Well, and and so the people that are only into, to bring this back around to a FUD chat, right? So people that are that are only into handguns or whatever, they don't realize the amount of rifle calibers that are out there, right? From Norma Magnum to Weatherby Magnum to nozzler to you know special cartridges the hornady special cartridges and so forth and so on and they still those companies still produce them to this day and you know what i'm saying they're not massive sellers or anything like that so you know is the sir 30 super going to be the next big thing who, who knows well, right you know, who knows and, you know, there, and it's, it's a couple it's an uphill yeah. battle, but to say that it's going to die and go away and nobody's going to appreciate it or use it or right. whatever is a something totally it's different. naive. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you and I were talking about it uh, in Vegas. I, you know, I, I didn't I didn't go to shoot it. Uh, Clover, as a matter of fact, I think I filmed you shooting it, but I had no desire to shoot it, but Clover shot it. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about it that night. Maybe someone was someone's chat. I can't remember. Uh, but you made a great analogy. And he says, you know, when... When if you would have told someone, you know, 15, 20 years ago that the 6.5 Creedmoor would be probably the most utilized long range cartridge, whatever you want to call it, over the 308, it was like, you're absolutely crazy. There's no reason the 308 would ever be overtaken. Now the 6.5 Creed is a hugely, you know, successfully hunting and competition caliber. Flip the script is a couple of years ago when the 224 Valkyrie came out, everyone said this is going to revolutionize. It's a two-two-three that can go a thousand yards. This is going to be the next greatest thing. A couple yeah. years later, Valkyrie's gone. Well, so it's just one of those things. I mean, does it does it have just because something has a place in the market or a niche in the market doesn't mean that it's going to catch on? And it might catch on twenty years from now. The two-two-four Valkyrie might catch on twenty. I'll use yours, Clover. The 300 Blackout, which was originally 30 years ago, the 300 Whisper, yep. took a long time for the 300 Blackout to become popular. So, it's been around forever. That's exactly where I was fixing to go. You read my mind because, you know, I was, one of, the first first, you, I was one of the first ones potentially in the, in the country, certainly within the huge eastern part of Texas, because I had gunsmiths calling me all the time, to build a 300 Blackout AR. Um and it's mainly because I had a lot of experience with the 300 Whisper previously. So, and all I heard was stupid niche cartridge, never make it stupid, never make it, never get popular, stupid, stupid. Now, you still hear haters today, right? But I'm talking that's all you heard back then. And look at the 300 Blackout. How many people own a 300 Blackout now? How many rifles are chambered in 300 Blackout now? How many, you know what I'm saying? So, 
it's it's one of the things where you you honestly you never know. Well, and G23 brings up the 303 British, and we were talking about this a couple <laughs> days ago, actually. And I was like, I didn't even know people really still made the 303 British, you know, because you don't hear many people saying, hey, can't wait to go to the range and shoot my infield. You know, right. <laughs> you just don't hear that. So it's like when you hear people are still making 303 British, you're like, people are still making it. Well, there, there, is, there are people out there that still want to shoot specific calibers. Absolutely. Dude, we've been going for two and a half hours. I just looked at my clock and I had no idea. He's an hour ahead of us and he's got a, a, a young lady waiting for him. His daughter is probably wondering where dad is right now. So, um, you know, I want to bring Clover in real quick, give you a chance uh, to talk about. You've got someone special coming on your podcast tomorrow. Do you want to talk yeah, about that? I do. How about that? <laughs> Got somebody new that you guys have never met before. Now we've even, taken basically every question you know that you what? could possibly no, ask him tomorrow. No, we take. I've been, I've been really. You really better be ready for the fud here. shit tomorrow, Ken. I'm I've just saying really, he's gonna yeah. fud life it up. Yeah, I've been really, really quiet over here. But uh, yes, yeah, yeah, if you're out there and you're curious who that guest is gonna be, you're gonna have to hop on the channel page. And <laughs> it's, it's a surprise. I'm not gonna tell anybody. But yeah, then I've got uh, Thursday. I've got Rob with Tusk on. That's going to be, uh, I think, an interesting one. I, you know, I'm not good at the whole cryptocurrency thing. I don't understand most of it and NFTs and all of that. But, um, yeah. you know, as you know, Rob was is uh, the toll tusk thing, and Rob and and related to the firearm industry and things like that. So we'll have that that conversation from that perspective, uh, and then dropped a revolver video today, uh, <laughs> trying to educate some people that don't understand um, things they. They see things that come out nowadays and they think that it's some new stupid thing. And it's like, um, yeah, that's been around for like 150 years, bro. <laughs> right. Not um, something new, folks. <laughs> so I, I thought, well, let me make a little deal kind of showing. I uh, show, show a couple of fairly modern revolvers and then I show one that's about 120 years old or so. That's basically the same exact design. Yeah. Now the 120 year old model, is that a refurbished one or is it a real like 120 year old gun? No, it's a, it's a, uh, hmm, I'm trying to think now which one it was, if it was an Ibra Johnson or an H and R or an H and a, I don't even remember, but it's a, uh, yeah, it's legit 1900 ish. But yours was it's not like a reproduction of a, it's a, yours is like a, like a real, an actual old gun. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's nice. one of the, one of the beautiful things about the, the, uh, especially revolvers from the late 1800s, early 1900s, up until maybe the 19-teens, uh, is there was tons and tons of companies making them. There's tons and tons of examples out there, um, all based off of, honestly, Smith & Wesson design, to be quite honest with you. But, um, you know, they can be had pretty cheap. You can build a pretty good collection, and uh, that's that's one of the things I've I've enjoyed over the years is, is finding different examples of those, but yeah, use one of those just to compare to actually the barkeep boot, which some people wanted to complain about a couple of things on that barkeep boot that, Oh, why they did that. That's stupid. And I'm like, well, they were doing it 120 years ago. So, you know, apparently it's not too stupid. There you go. Um, yeah. And go check out. You've got, he's got three or four, five, six. I'm not sure um podcast set up from a lot of people from shot we, we've got several on we've got coming on next week we've got rob from savage coming on 
Uh, we got some we got Cat from Global Ordinance coming on. We got Rob from Lionheart coming on. A lot of this stuff from Shot, you're going to start seeing some of our favorite uh, products that we saw at Shot. We're trying to bring them in. Obviously, we wanted to get uh, get Ken on here very quickly because it was one of our favorite, not only one of our favorite products, but also probably one of my favorite people uh, we've met at Shot in recent years. So it, it was nice to kind of click with someone personality wise and all of that, being able to joke around with them. And, you know, and we were talking before is, is, you know, is he's one of those things where we just met, but it was like pretty quickly. You felt like we've maybe personality. We kind of known each other for a while. Cause we were just giving each other hell, like right away. I was like, this kind of, it was nice. It's refreshing to meet someone that doesn't take life too seriously. Cause we don't want to do that around here either. So no, it was great to meet you guys. We, uh, with it, our, with it being our, I don't even know eighth, ninth shot, whatever it was, but our first range day, you yeah. know, you, you hear that term media. What? I've never been around the media. You know, I, I didn't know if I should be expecting paparazzi or, you know, what I would you actually have, have met. people that try to bring an entourage to make themselves look more important. But honestly, most of the best ones, the guys that we hang with snob and, and clover and obnoxious and Sarge and all them just dudes that like shooting well, guns. No. To be fair here, it was late okay, in the day. Clover. Then we have Clover. It so. was late in the day on range day. So when I walked in the booth uh, for, for BRG there, um, I was tired and I didn't get my normal spill, which is, hey, I'm Clover Tack on YouTube. What are you going to give me? That's usually yeah. how I start the conversation. But well, I was, actually, I was he, tired, he actually Ken. Has, I apologize, he Ken. He on someone's shoulders and he has like, yeah. I mean, he's got an entourage. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah, I, I, I feel bad about that. I could tell you were a big deal as soon as I met you. I said, "Whoa, <laughs> I mean, this guy is a big a deal." Of word, you know. <laughs> I'm not uh, big, but I'm a big deal. <laughs> no, it was uh, it was a great experience. Me. I'm kind of a big deal, you know. <laughs> from no, from Jump Street though, like we we could tell you guys that came and shot the gun, and not just you guys, but obviously yeah, sure. pretty quickly developed a rapport with you guys. By and large, the folks we met on on Range Day and really all week long it just it was a refreshing reminder that the folks in the 2a community were all in the same boat you know we we know what rights we want to preserve we know uh what culture we're trying to be good stewards of and the people who play well together tend to be the people who are not faking it they're they're just they're people who are genuine right yeah and that's kind of when you know that's like i said you kind of say okay a uh, serious person that doesn't take himself seriously. That's my kind of guy. Like we can be serious and not be an asshole, you know, and, and that's, that's the cool thing about it. Uh, getting a lot of comments out here about um, awesome show. Uh, Bring, you need to come back on. Ken knows that he's got an open now that he, first of all, guys, we popped his cherry, by the way, this was his first, <laughs> this was his first. So first time um, podcaster, first time podcast. And, and, and it, it can get addicting. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's been, we, we've had a lot of friends in the industry that after coming on my show and Clovers and a few others had a lot of fun. They're like, we need to start our own. And there are, I'm not, I hate to say this and I'm not working, not directly, but we had a lot to do with some of these actual manufacturers having their own podcasts because it is addicting. And if you have fun with it and we try to have fun, and I mean, uh, $10, be, be Hurst, thank you, brother. Appreciate you very much, bro. If we can do it, anybody can do it. Right. So well, guaranteed <laughs> if I can, I promise you anyone can do it. Uh, I don't, yeah, even, I don't sure. even show up on camera. So it's like, 
Actually, people don't know this. That's what Clover really looks like. <laughs> that's, that's a live shot, by the way. He's a leprechaun. He cannot move for two and a half hours and, and just look like that. I will so. be on camera tomorrow. Yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. Uh, I want to let Ken talk real quick. While you're kind of talking about both BCC and BRG, I'm going to be throwing some links out there to the chat. But uh, I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk about where they can find you. Um, all, any information last minute that you want people to know about both companies, if you want. No, I appreciate that. So buffalocartridge.com and brgusa.com. And there is a hyphen between BRG and USA. But if you go to the buffalocartridge.com website, you can link to BRG USA or you can Google either one. It's, uh, let's be honest, it's 2022. So you can find pretty much everything you, you set your mind to on the internet. The, the ammo and the gun are both available and linked off of the website. Um, the sales of the gun direct from the website actually launched this week. So my latest IT update, I don't believe it went live today, but sometime before the end of the week, they should be live. And so we hope to be able to sell you the, the gun, uh, the holster, the magazines very soon. We'll continue to work with our dealer directs, with our distribution network. We're going to keep trying to build this thing organically. But really, that's where anybody who is listening or watching, that's where you guys come in. We're trying to build a groundswell about this gun um, because the more people that go to their dealer and ask for it, then their dealer is going to go to their distributor and ask for it. And then their distributor is going to come to me and ask for it. And so... This thing is happening from the ground up. Really appreciate you guys having us on today. Look forward to being on uh, you know, some podcast tomorrow. May or may not be with a leprechaun. We'll see. You know, it, 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 you, you got to go to the B team eventually, you know. It's probably some crap. I'm the C team, by the way. So you're actually moving up in podcast tomorrow. Nice. I'm with the D team, and he's 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 probably at least a B team. I thought we know? were D list. There's a, there's a shot show. We are D list. Oh, there is D list, man. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> the D list celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Rod, our good friend Rod with Aegis Gun Care says, first time I met these guys, they walked into our booth. This was a shot like 2017 or 2018. Walked into our booth and basically said, you obviously know who we are. So where's the free shit? That, that's a true story. <laughs> uh, no, Rod's been a great friend over the years. And, um, Rod was saying also, you know, you said that you guys are putting some lube or solvent in, in your gun cases. I can speak for Rod, um, and I might I can give you his contact. If you guys are looking to partner with a, a, a solvent or a lube company, these guys are unbelievable. Um, they can do whatever. But, I, I'm, I, you know, stick around after we get go live. We'll, we do after chat for a few minutes. And if you want to, I can get you his, his, his contact. But, yeah, I, I can vouch for that stuff, and they're they're out of Idaho. They're they're great, great lube and solvent all solvent and all that. But yeah, always love meeting good people, man. Absolutely, was, was um, from Texas, was from Texas, and now he moved up to Idaho. Um, and on top of that, his wife's cool as hell too. So um, that's the reason why, honestly, we stick around with Rod is we like to be around Shelly. So um, sorry, Rod, the truth hurts. He knows that though. <laughs> Uh, but no, guys, thank you so much. Like I said, next week we've got Savage on to talk about the Savage Stance and the L, uh, the Impulse, their new their new uh, rifle as well. But check that out. Please go check out. I put the links out there. And they're going to be in the description below for their um, websites and social media. But go check out Buffalo Cartridge and also BRG USA. You get the ammo and you get the firearm. Uh, we fired it. We love it. More importantly, 
we can vouch for the people. Ken is is one of the real guys. Roddy's a great guy. Um, we can we can vouch for these guys. And, and I'm not saying that it's the greatest gun in the world. I'm not saying to go out and buy it because I tell you. I'm saying go try it. Find somewhere that you can get it. Try it. Think for yourself. Um, but I promise you that you're going to be surprised when you when you get your hands on it. But guys, thank you so much for watching. If you're watching in replay or listening in podcast form, uh, the conversation doesn't have to stop. Go ahead and utilize the comment section for any questions for myself, Clover, or Ken with the companies. Uh, go ahead and leave those comments. This question in the comments will get those to the respective people. If you're out there in the podcast form, please, I don't say this very often, but I'm going to say it. Give us a, a review. I don't care if it's a one-star or five-star. Give us a review out there on the podcast platform that you're using. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to it. Make sure you get notified when the podcasts come out. Uh, and give us a rating. Give us a comment. Do something that does help the algorithms with the, um, with the podcast form. So thank you so much for watching. We will see you soon. Simplify. Thanks, guys.